Welcome to Coastal Front. Join us each week as we sit down with the movers and shakers of Vancouver to discuss stories of business, politics, accomplishment, and failure. Our aim is to keep you dialed into what matters most in our city. Now, here's your host, Andrew Johns. Great, here we are with Kari Andrews. Thanks for coming on the show today, Kari. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. Uh, as we were sp- talking about just a few minutes ago, um, my knowledge base on comic books is is relatively limited. I did I did read some Archie comics when I was a kid. That was my <laughs> when you had to bring a book to school. To Are you a, a Betty Man or, an, or a Veronica Man? <laughs> oh man, I, I don't know if I want to say on, on record. <laughs> I was always more partial to Betty, I think. But do you know uh, who I loved? I loved uh, Midge. Midge? Was it Midge? Moose's girlfriend? Oh, yeah. She seemed the most, like, dangerous to get, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, Moose was, there'd be some trouble there, so she seemed more exotic in yeah. some ways. Well, it's interesting, because there's, uh, and I think, did, did you did you direct um, one of these, what's the new show that, Riverdale? Oh, I didn't direct Riverdale. I oh, okay. I jumped in and helped, I directed some, I directed some scenes. Some scenes, okay. They were behind, and they yeah. had some actor issues, uh, some um, actors were out of, uh, got injured and then they yeah. came back and they need they needed to catch up so I, sh- I shot some scenes for them but yeah yeah they got they got like me i got a, 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 a blood clot in the eye in film. um so riverdale's but it's based on the archie theme isn't it yeah it's based on the comic book mm-hmm. yeah okay um as a guy guy that's in this industry you know you're a comic book artist and you're i mean how would you describe yourself well i'm a weird hybrid okay. so in comic books, which is my first job, I um, write, pencil, ink, and color. And normally those are separate jobs. Okay. But sometimes you can do more than one, and I tend to like to do all of them. So I'm a weird, in the comic book industry, I'm a kind of a weird hybrid of doing different tasks. And then separately, I built a directing career where I um, am directing either feature films or TV shows. And then combined, I'm an even weirder zebra giraffe cross hybrid like you know it's like yeah. there's there's not like i'm the only one i know of that does both those yeah. those things a lot of writers can transition over from comic books into features like the wachowski brothers who did the matrix movies they yeah. started off writing comic books or is that right or a tons tons of people yeah. because it's such that a lot of the inspiration is the same for science fiction or fantasy movies james cameron always wanted to be a comic book artist and said he became the, one of the greatest directors ever, but you yeah. know, there's a lot of, a lot of the same kind of the breeding grounds between those different jobs. But yeah. I, as far as I know, I'm the only one that does that both um, writes and draws major superhero properties. And then also is a working director. So it's wow. a bit of a strange situation. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Well, we're going to spend some time talking about this yeah. strange situation. Cause I, I think you're a fascinating guy. Let's maybe start by the history here of Kari Andrews. You, you grew up out in the prairies. Yeah, I was born in uh, Leaf Rapids, Manitoba. Okay. I grew up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Love that, my life. I love that town. It's one of my favorite cities. Yeah, I mean, some good people. Yeah. Uh, I went to art school in um, Calgary in the Alberta College of Art and okay. ended up uh, here. Okay. In Vancouver and now the suburbs of Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. And when did you first start drawing uh, comic book type heroes <clears throat> of your own? Are you doing it from since you were a kid kind of thing? Yeah. Well, so, so this, so. People always ask me that question, like, when did you start drawing? Yeah. And I used to answer the question like this. I used to say, 
It's not when I started drawing, it's when did you stop drawing? Because everyone draws as a kid. Like everyone draws like everyone draws as a kid. Like if you give a baby a crayon, they'll want to draw on things. Yeah. It's just like in your biology. Yeah. So I used <laughs> that used to be my answer and people like that answer because um one, it's a bit surprising and it's true. But yeah. then also I think people I think people like that it kind of shames them a little bit in a weird way. Yeah. Like they like that to they stop drawing. Yeah. Like yeah. people enjoy being shamed, uh, yeah. strangely, but, and it also, it also puts the blame on this horrible thing that happened to you on someone else. Like someone embarrassed you. So you would stop drawing. Someone humiliated you and told you weren't good enough. I'm pretty sure that happened to me. Well, it probably did, yeah. but it's not, but it's not quite true because while everyone does draw and most people stop and like not most people take a break. Like most people just stop at, age six or seven or eight or 13 or whatever. Yeah. Um, also, I'm just more aware now that there are personality traits that allow you to draw. Like there's biological tendencies sure. that make you want to do that. Just, like I could make the same argument. Like if you were a um, Olympic uh, triathlete yeah. and you could say, well, when did you stop running? Cause everyone yeah. runs the kid, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that everyone should be running professionally. Yeah. So it's, so it's a bit of a different answer I give now where it's, I just, I just always found a lot of uh, meaning, uh, meaningfulness in, in, in drawing. Yeah, sure. That's a good, yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I, I remember hearing a, a, a statement from uh, a, a, like a TED Talks type speaker uh, maybe a year ago who said, you know, if you want to be really fair with your kids, you shouldn't tell them they can be anybody they want. They can do whatever yeah. they want. If you want to be realistic with them, you got to tell them that, you know, you could probably be most things, but there's going to be certain things you're going to be really good at and other things you're not going to be. <clears throat> oh, I totally yeah. agree. And I think, yeah. to be honest, I think that's what's, that's, that's done a great harm in today's world mm -hmm. by telling people you can be whatever you want because it's not true. Yeah. And people find out pretty quick. And when they find out, if all they hear is, well, no, it's true. You can be anything you want. You must not want it hard enough. Right. Or you, mu you must not have done the right things. Or what's worse, someone must have stopped you from being that thing that you want to be. Right. And so you have a lot of, a lot of the problems I think in today's world are because there's this kind of a lie that's being propagated. Yeah. It's like propaganda. It's like a religion. Like you yeah. can be anything. It's yeah. not true. Like, <laughs> and it's really easy to see in sports. Yeah. That's why no one ever talks about some of the things we talk about with sports. Like no one yeah. ever says like, oh my God, you're even though you're five foot five tall, you should be playing NBA because you wanted, if you wanted yeah, enough, you, you wanted could enough, do it. You could have done it. It's a lie. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lie. So it's like, and so, then there's always a good example too, right? Like Theo Fleury played, uh, he was a phenomenal player yeah. in the NHL and he was like five foot six or even today. There's uh, also from the Calgary flames. What's his name? Uh, hockey, uh, Joe, what I forget his name, but he's an American kid and he's, Oh, Goudreau. Yeah, Johnny, 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 Johnny Hockey. Goudreau, yeah. yeah, Johnny Hockey. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 say, but, but it's a terrible example because, like, <clears throat> in any any sort of market, you're going to have an exception. Yeah. But it's even that one exception is even more outstanding than than the group as a whole. But even within that exception, it's built into it that he could have succeeded, right? Like, the, right. whatever his he ha is obviously very athletic enough he could overcome some disadvantages yeah whereas if your iq is 80 you're not going to be a physicist right you know you can't change your iq like yeah. you you can top out like iq is built into your biology you're born to have a certain level like you can't get yeah. tall or you can't get yeah. you can't change your gender or you can't you know there are things that you're just born with certain parameters yeah 
and different people can do different things very well, but we can't, I don't think anymore. Yeah. And I think it might be better as yeah. us, as parents of young kids. I wonder if it might almost be better if we just tell our kids that they're probably not going to accomplish much in life. And then when they do, they'll feel phenomenal about it. Uh, I think there's some, I think there's some <laughs> truth there, no, but I think that used to be the message that used to, the message used to be that life is Son, hard. You can work in the mill just like your dad. Yeah. Well, no, what's, <laughs> but, okay. The think of the people that, that made it right. It's like my parents told me I couldn't make it. And what did I do? I did it. Yeah. I achieved it. Like that's, that's the dream. I surpassed people trying to push me down. Yeah. In today's world, it's like opposite. It's like everyone told me I could make it and it never happened. Yeah. It's that sad. Yeah. But what's the other two? Like thrive and achieve and overcome like that to me is that's the human experience yeah you know like i always think of this one there was this documentary david attenborough documentary maybe life or something okay i always remember there's like these little tiny fish and they spend all day like kind of like struggling up this cliff and they're dropping off they're dropping off they can barely do it the little tiny creatures and finally one guy makes it and what does he do he jumps right back down and does it again and i always <laughs> thought oh that's life man like the struggle is the life. And if you tell people they shouldn't struggle, you're robbing them of the experience of life. Yeah, 100%. If you tell people like you are not going to do this and let them struggle to do it to yeah. spite you, yeah. you're giving them a gift, I think, yeah. in, many, in many ways. I think it's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like the participation badges that everybody gets now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, when you remove, when you remove um, no scores in games. When you remove um, winners from a sports competition, you're removing losers. You're removing you're removing the point of it. Yeah. Like you do, you do, you don't call a goal a goal in hockey for some arbitrary reason. It's a goal to strive towards because it means something. Yeah. Because enough goals and you'll win the game. Not just you'll win the game. Your whole team will win the game. Yeah. Your whole family will celebrate. Your community will celebrate. Your city will celebrate. Your nation will celebrate because you did enough goals to win that thing. And like that's again. That's life. And that's life. Yeah. And you know, Kari, if you have, if you look at the success you've had to to this date, yeah. the reason you've had the success, even though I don't know what you've gone through, as we're going to talk about, I can guarantee you the reason you've had the success you've had is because all the failures you faced from when you were a kid right up till now with people telling you, oh, you weren't good enough or you won't be able to do that or you're dreaming too big or, you know, forget about it. You're from, you're from Saskatoon. Yeah. How could you become... You know, yeah. a, a world famous comic book artist, right? Yeah. Oh, I totally. I believe in failure, <clears throat> like even more and more so. I yeah. think you know, there's these cliches like, um, you need to fail fast enough to learn what you need to learn to to win. And it's yeah. like you know, I totally believe you need to fail as quickly as possible at things. Yeah. And you need to risk failure and humiliation and like, you know, people laughing at you, which is what stops us from trying things. But yeah. it's part of the game. Like you, ca you need to be able to fail. And it, what's funny is, uh, to take us back to directing, part of what's interesting about actors is it's such a public performance that the best actors kind of are unaware if they're failing or not. The best actors kind of just like let it out in a public space. So even though you're watching a movie and someone's just like, a very small emotional performance. There's still a whole crew in front of them filming them. Sometimes the camera's like right up here. Yeah. But they need to be able to like, in a very public way, be um, vulnerable enough to be able to fail in, in a private way in front of people. Yeah. I don't know. And I think it's all, a real skill, huh? I think all art is, <clears throat> is, is that vulnerable risk of failure. Yeah. But also, but I'm sure in your job too, like when you 
um, have real success, it's because there was a real risk of failure. 100%. Like you can't have it both ways. I had someone uh, years ago say to me, man, everything you do is successful. I'm like, no, everything you see that's successful is backed up by a ton of failure. Yeah. I would say the majority of my business ventures have failed. In fact, yeah. I'm not even talking like a 50-50 split here. I'm talking like 89% of 80 to 90% of the business ventures, ideas, uh, risks that I take fail or don't pan out for one reason or another. Uh, but also the same person said to me years ago, which was a great statement. He said, you're going to lose. Don't lose the lesson. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So um, you mentioned earlier that yeah, you grew up in Saskatoon, but then you yeah. went to school in Calgary. What school did you go to again? Well, in Saskatchewan, there were no art schools. So okay. I went to the Alberta College of Art and Design in Calgary. Yeah. And it was a kind of a funny school. I only went for two years, not even two years. The first year was a very foundational year. We all learned different tools and approaches and whatnot. And then the second year, you had to choose your major. Okay. And there were no majors that I was interested in, really. There was a design major. I liked design, but I didn't want to just do design. I was always interested in like learning how to draw like, like just the classic illustrators that maybe it's a Norman Rockwell or whoever, like just like really good, amazing guys. But, but that the teachers that were teaching there were not, they were like, they were like anti-representational art making. So that's like collages and like installation art and, you know, not what not classically trained illustrations. So they had yeah. nothing for me after that first year. So I stayed for a little bit, but then I just, I just uh, bailed. And um, and then you came to Vancouver. I went back to Saskatoon. Okay. Um, I moved into my mom's laundry room. Yeah. And just decided to break into comics. And so I really? just drew in my mom's laundry room uh, for a year, and then, until I broke into comic books. Really? Yeah. And how old were you then? Probably uh, twenty-ish, something okay. like that. Twenty, yeah, twenty probably. And so you start drawing comic books or comics. Yeah, comic, comic. E either or, either okay. or. Yeah. And and do you have a vision in your mind of where you want to go with this? Do you have an idea like I want to be this guy, or did you just have this passion for it and you're just hoping someone will pick it up? Because the one thing that I find so fascinating about what you do, and I want to this is what I want to spend a lot of time on. In my world, I'm in a business world. Everything's money driven. It's, it's ones and zeros, it's pluses and minuses. You have a product, you make it available to your market, you sell it, they either buy it or they don't. It's very, like, it's very linear, it's very clear. Mm -hmm. It's not ambu ambu ambiguous. ambiguous. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, because there's no art. I mean, there's a little bit of art, I guess, to what we do a little bit, but mm -hmm. it's very cut and dry, <clears throat> right? And, there's, and, it's, and, I'm, and it's an industry where it's very obvious where you can take the business to. Yeah. Um, so when you get into the industry, and plus, I mean, there's, I mean, in the world of business, I mean, there's like a gazillion business schools out there. There's a gazillion business students. There's every every business, even the comic book business, uh, you know, companies like Disney are so structured. You just know how they work. It doesn't take it. It's rocket science. But I imagine that especially, you know, growing up in the prairies, you don't have a lot of like local, you know, comic book uh, leaders that you can draw, you know, experience from or get advice from. So... How do you go from being in your mom's laundry room to being a guy who's, you know, well, really well respected and world class in this space? Like what, you know? Yeah. Well, there was, that was a long question. for. Oh, no, I totally. That's a very, it's a good question. Mm -hmm. So 
when I was drawing comic books, or in Saskatoon, when I wanted to draw comic books, there's one guy in town who drew Superman at the time. Okay. His name was Tom Grummet. Very nice guy. I ended up meeting him through my dad, a friend of my dad's. It was just inspirational to know he was there. When I first started working, um, he let me rent some studio space from him. But, but it's not, it was, it's never, that comic book industry is so small. It's not an industry where you can find a, a mentor and then they can guide you into the process and teach you the things. And, you know, you can work with a, a team of people and the best rise. And the, you know, it's like a very, it's a very small industry and everyone is very um, industrious and basically self-employed and very okay. kind of driven in a niche way, yeah. in a very niche way. Like how small, small is it? Like are we talking? Like hundreds of people. Really? Yeah, like it's like, it's very small. Wow. What's funny about comic books is Marvel Comics itself is very small. Yeah. Doesn't make a lot of money. Yeah. But it's the engine that then makes the most um, profitable movies in history. Yeah. It, this tiny little engine of maybe a thousand people. Maybe, sure. Maybe. Yeah. Um, then generates a multi-billion dollar yeah, franchises. Like, yeah. They get, I read, a, uh, you know, going, okay, so going, tying what you're talking about back into my industry in the financial yeah. services and I love Disney. I love the stock. Um, you know, certain things I don't like, but I, as a as a shareholder, yeah. you know, I have it in my kids' our education accounts, my nieces and nephews' education accounts. I mean, I think this company is like rock solid. And I think so. There was a report that came out. Oh, they bought, they bought Marvel, right? But Marvel, Star and, Wars. Yeah. So when they bought Marvel, that was probably about I mean, like 12, 13 years ago, something like that. Oh, maybe, was it that long ago? Uh, yeah, maybe. maybe ten. Maybe. Yeah. So, maybe. No, this all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, around yeah. ten years ago. And there was this phenomenal research. This analyst, I don't know, one of the big banks uh, wrote this report and said, buy Disney now mm-hmm. because they have just um, bought themselves something. They, they calculated like something like 260 years of, of like blockbuster hit <laughs> material. Like they said, if you look at the depth of the Marvel comic book uh, character base, which you would know better than I would, this report said they could literally roll out a new movie with a new character every year for something like maybe I'm maybe I'm off on 260 years, but it was like a huge number. They're oh like, yeah, no, there are they, hundreds and hundreds of characters. Oh, there is. Okay, so totally. that's so yeah. not far off. Then they said like 260 yeah. years yeah. every year they roll out a new movie with a new character. It'll go on forever, and and it's yeah. gonna be like textbook. Yeah, I don't know if it's gonna. I don't know if it could ever go on forever because I think people tire of genres. Like yeah. for for decades, it was the western was the big genre, and now it's yeah. a superhero. But yeah. so it will end at some point. But yeah. I mean, it, not 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 for a while. It's, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be a big ride. This Avengers movie. Yeah. Uh, see, okay, I'm I, so I'm one of those groups that I I actually stopped watching these movies because yeah. I find they're all kind of the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, admittedly, uh-huh. like the last big uh, superhero movie I watched was probably one of those Batman ones yeah um like where I don't even remember it was uh, who the character was uh the actor who was some of the actors in, uh, that have done Heath Batman. Ledger was it the jo- was it the Dark Knight mm, yeah probably that one that was, know, that was the long, greatest one how long ago was that oh man a long time ago uh, but yeah. without this last Christopher Nolan movie it was a good seven years ago oh, okay. I don't know something yeah. like that I'm not sure so uh but this this Avengers what's the latest one called uh, Endgame Endgame yeah it's apparently had it reached a, a record of the it, um, having the most it was the fastest uh, achievement of a billion dollars in yeah. sales in uh, time or something like that. Yeah, I mean, to, in all uh, honesty, I don't watch a lot of those the movies right now either. Okay. I I actually have the same reaction to be honest. Like, yeah. they feel a little the same, and 
I, I don't feel an urgency to watch them. I'll catch them on Netflix or I'll, yeah, I'll sure. kind of get caught up. But um, like my love of those characters predates the movies. Yeah. So in some ways, there's a clear separation of the movie versions of those characters and the characters that I grew up with. Yeah, sure. And I, I don't feel like I'm missing out. There's like a cultural phenomenon yeah. where the culture feels like they're, they would miss out if they don't jump in. Yeah. But as someone who like just those characters are like family members. I just known them for so long. Like I'll, I'll catch them next summer at the reunion, you know, like yeah. I don't feel that the, the, uh, the urgency. What I think, what I, here's what I think is interesting about talking to you yeah. is that I'm really becoming interested in creativity yeah, and how it um, manifests and opposes industriousness. Mm-hmm. So there's this concept that our brain is bifurcated, right? One hemisphere is for creativity and one hemisphere is for order. So um, your left hemisphere is for order. That's why we use our right hand for tools and to fight and to control. And our right hemisphere is for, this is my understanding, if it's yeah. wrong. No, I think you know. Right, right when yeah. you email. That's but I've heard. But um, it's for creativity. It's for the unknown. Mm-hmm. So when we explore a dark room, we always, without thinking about it, reach out with our left hand to search and have our right hand to either hold the tool or get ready to attack. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this. That's such a good point. I never thought of that, but it's so true. Yeah, no, it's just sci- it's science. Yeah. It's actually neuroscience. Yeah. So what I find so interesting now is I found culturally we have divided into um, a way that's either left or right, even politically. Even politically, yeah. So liberalism is like all openness and creativity, open borders, everyone's okay, like blah blah blah. And conservatism is, is like order and control, and we got to maintain the society and and and. I think a lot of this conflict is because we've we've drifted away from each other. Yeah. And if you go back and look at like say even the yin yang symbol, it's it's a it's a symbol of bifurcation but is integrated into each other and really like you can't have one without the other. You need to be to, yeah. Yeah, let's it's mm-hmm. like it's like walking. You need a left yeah. foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. Like you have to you have to dance with each other. Just like a man and a woman have or have to be different. Yeah. Right? They're different. They're, di- <laughs> they're just different. I mean, there's been this, this move to treat, we're all the same, it doesn't matter. But no, you have to be different, but integrated to walk through life successfully. I, I, yeah. And I, it's just, I'm just so into this right now. Yeah. And, and like we were talking about the finances and the, here's the stock and the, well, Marvel was failing as a company. It almost went bankrupt, even though it had these characters that everyone loved. Right. Because it didn't have the, the corporate structure yeah. to have it succeed. And so when Disney swooped in, it gave them this corporate structure, but it needs the creativity that comes from these these little tiny comic books that like one or two guys write and draw yeah. on you know with an editor, yeah. and then turns into Avengers Endgame, which is yeah. like this multi billion dollar, you know. Well, you have a really good point because when I think about my industry and the success that my my team has had, um, you know, I, I think sometimes I kind of shortchange myself when I say, "Oh, I'm not a very creative guy," because actually, when I look at a lot of my best ideas and things that have done very well, whether it's the Bitcoin business or we did, we did this phenomenal trade for like four years in Argentina hmm. and it was just off of this and was called the blue chip swap trade. And, um, we were the only one on the planet doing it basically. I mean, we were, I was out in, I was down in Burbank, California, pitching Disney on this thing. I was out in, in New Jersey pitching Johnson and Johnson. We did some monster trades, uh, for these companies that had you know, their tentacles into every market in the world. And Argentina was like this bizarre environment. And what, and what led you to Argentina? 
yeah, we had a, I had a client from Calgary, an oil and gas client. They don't even exist anymore now. Um, but they they called me up because we were managing their cash, and they said, um, "You guys." At the time, I was with my former firm, and they had an office down in Argentina. And they said, "You guys have an office down in Argentina, Buenos Aires, and we're having this problem down there where uh, you know we're bringing money down at the government rate." And we've heard there's another way we can bring that money down that's at like the the what they call the the black market or the the blue chips they call it the blue chip swap rate and and basically i did some research we helped them with this trade and like a light bulb went off and i'm like oh man this is phenomenal and so the trade itself was not totally um it wasn't creative itself because there were other groups that were doing it the big difference was I turned what was a simple trade that a few people were doing locally in Argentina and basically turned it into a service and a product that I then broadcasted to the entire market in North America. Because the only people that were doing this trade was down, were down so, in Argentina. So you saw the potential. Yeah. And then you manifested that potential. Yeah. And that, that is making art. Like that's yeah, what sure. artists do on a small scale yeah. every, every day. You're manifesting potential. Yeah. Which is why culturally artists are kind of celebrated because yeah. they're doing that thing we all need to be doing. Yeah. And yeah, and, and it sounds like that's what you, you did. You you applied some art to yeah. to your uh, your structured env environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess maybe I am an artist in the business. Well, I think we're all art, yeah. or we should we should all we should all be uh, artists to an extent. Yeah. Too many artists is chaos. You don't want <laughs> you don't want too many artists, but you want. I think you want an integration, right? You want to integrate. Same with artists. Like I've when I was coming up, I would meet so many artists that were very skilled but they didn't have the discipline to draw every day okay. or to pursue jobs. Sure. So a lot of raw talent and yeah. they just were kind of lazy. But they were your more stereotypical artists that were a little bit flaky and didn't have oh, yeah. the, uh, they didn't have that right side of like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta go kill something today for my family. To eat. Yeah. They didn't have the drive and you right. need, you need both. Yeah. You need yeah. both to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about some characters and, and actually before we do that, just so I understand the landscape. So you've got Marvel. Yeah. Right. You have DC. Those are the top. Those are the big, we call them the big two. The big two. Yeah. Are there other brands of comic books? And yeah. are, are there also non-brands that are just like independents? Like, uh, or what's, what, like, can you give me a bit sure. of the history so there's there? The, the big two. For Mar a guy that doesn't know. That. Totally. totally. Yeah. The big two is Spider-Man, Marvel, Spider-Man, Captain America, Avengers. Okay. And then DC, Superman, Batman, uh, oh, Justice okay. League. Oh, really? Those are the okay, big two. So that's like the Coke and Pepsi. This is exactly the Coke and Pepsi. Okay. Um, and then just below that is uh, Image Comics. That's a unique company that everything's creator controlled, creator owned. Everyone does their own books. It's kind of this. Uh, um, it's like a credit union of the. Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then there's uh, Dark Horse, which okay. is Hellboys from Dark Horse. Um, uh, Barbed Wire, the. Pamela Anderson movie from the 90s. I don't remember yeah. that, but yeah. they have some... Uh, I don't remember it, yeah. It's like, you know, the next yeah. tier down is uh, okay. Dark Horse. IDW IDW does books like um, V Wars or, or whatnot. And there's Boom. There's a bunch of... Uh, then there's a bunch of other... Xenoscope. There's a bunch of other smaller companies kind of then trickling down. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that kind of gives the line. Yeah, and the big, the big yeah. two are primarily superheroes. Okay. So, I mean, comic books is a medium. Like, you can tell any story in comic books. Sure. It's not a genre. Like, people yeah. say, oh, that's a comic book movie. But what they really mean is it's a superhero movie or whatnot. Yeah. But the big two, that's only because the big two are mostly superheroes. And then beyond that, like, The Walking Dead yeah. is an image comic book. Okay. Horror comic book. 
um, but it's a again it's a it's a medium not a genre so you can tell any story you want in a comic book. yeah yeah wow cool so I, I'd like to learn about some of these different comics the other one I, I'd be curious to know about if you have an interest in is is those Japanese comics there's that's huge that whole industry yeah so what we'll do is we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna come back with Kari Andrews and we're gonna talk a bit more about you know, beyond just superheroes, because that was my view of what comic books are. But mm-hmm. let's dive into that a bit more in a few minutes with Kari Andrews. All right, here we are back with Kari Andrews talking about the landscape of the comic book world. And you're mentioning, Kari, that, you know, comic books aren't just about superheroes. It's a medium for all sorts of types of ideas. And yeah, uh, what, what is the ones in Japan? What are those those called? Uh, we call it manga. Manga? Manga. Okay. Um, yeah, in Japan, traditionally, Japan has had a much more um, wider reading audience. There's a, they have a history of uh, people reading comics and commuter trains, like fishing comic books or basketball comic books. Or um, Why is it so big in their culture? Well, I think it was, ch- I think it was just cheap to consume, and uh, I think there was a lot of commuter trains, and yeah. they didn't really get... Part of the problem with the American comic books is they got stigmatized as superhero comic books pretty quick. Okay. Uh, when they first kind of erupted. Yeah. And the biggest comic books were always superhero comic books. And until recently, that limited the age group to, uh, at first, you know, till high school and then and then till college. And now it's, it's uh, you know... Grown-ups yeah. read these superhero comic books that we make. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting. Apparently, yeah. the the biggest, the fastest-selling genre of of uh, uh, coloring books is for adults. There's adult comic uh, coloring yeah. books now. I mean, here's what I find interesting. You tell me what you think, but I have noticed this in general, along with these other things we've been talking about, the... Um, I think the, the degrading excellence in our society and, like, you know... And to trying to maybe avoid responsibility for your own success or, or things like things like this that are kind of, I think, kind of bubbling up. There has been this weird um, man child. Maybe man is the wrong because it's both genders, but like this kind of like it feels like people are taking a long time to grow up these days. And it feels it's weird to also be writing and drawing conflicts because. Uh, I kind of work in this industry where I'm creating these stories that maybe were once for kids, but now they're for even an older audience. I do a lot of older audience comic books. It's weird to see in every area, coloring books for grownups, um, safe spaces for university students, like comic books as the predominant genre in movies. It's, it's kind of strange. The toy collection, like sure. all these things we used to think of as kids' things. And when I was a collector, we'd be like, these aren't just for kids. Someday you'll see. And then now it's just like, well, here we are. And I don't know if that was, I don't know if that was for the best. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, sometimes I wonder, like. Well, I have an idea behind yeah. why this is happening. Yeah. Have you, have you ever, uh, you got three little guys, three, you've got two little boys and a girl. And so we've got, and our kids are almost the exact same age. Yeah. Have you ever taken them out to fly kite? Um, we have, but it's been a while. Okay. It's been a while. Yeah. Well, when you did. Did, when you flew your kite with your kids for the first time, did you think to yourself, man, when's the last time I flew a kite? Yeah, no, they bought me the kite for okay. Father's Day, and they were very young, and we haven't done it. I okay. Mean, yeah. Oh, so I, I took my kids out to fly a kite like two years ago, Yeah. and now I love it more than they do. Crystal's yeah. always like, 
you just want to take them to the playground. So <laughs> you, you have one of those aer- aerobatic kite. kites. No, uh, two. we try those things are way too. I just some simple <laughs> one line, throw it up there. It's got some, I don't know, koala bear or some monkey mm-hmm. or whatever. It's a kid's kite. But, um, it, I like to think that maybe one of the reasons why this is happening, why adult coloring books are becoming a big thing is when you think, when you look, we're, we're the same age. You're born, you're born in 74, 75, 75. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like a year apart. When you look back to your youth and your childhood, most people hopefully have some really fond memories, even if they grew up in a traumatic environment, you know, like that that's when you were young and you were free and you didn't have much responsibility and you got to do things that were really cool. And so I think what's happened candidly is the businesses, business, smart business people, maybe who have a bit of creativeness to them have tapped into that and gone, Hey, let's bring out adult coloring books and see if we can and then it works they're like yeah people love this because it takes them back to when they used to color as kids that's why i think you're seeing yeah no there is there is a there is a even in even in the kind of movies that are made the kind of comics that are made like nostalgia is often the commodity that is being sold to people right right it's not it's not it's like this also ties into why every movie is a remake or reboot or whatnot because nostalgia is is you can it's worth money yeah, you can value. You can easily say, "Oh, we project this amount of money because people love this." Yeah, Ghostbusters. I call it a twenty-year cycle. That's what I call it. I call mm-hmm. it a twenty-year cycle because I say what I say is that anything that not anything, but if something comes back as sort of a reboot or a, it's come back into fashion, like whether it's bell bottom jeans or it's a certain movie or it's a particular type of uh, toy. To my, in my view, in the first 10 years after it became popular, people, it's like a good song, right? That got played on the radio way too much. At the next 10 years, nobody wants to hear it because like, fuck, that song again. I remember that back from, you know, four years ago, just everybody kept playing it and just over and over again. But then people start to forget about it. And then you get to the 20-year point and it comes back out. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that song. That was mm-hmm. such a good song. I can't remember exactly when it was. Probably got played a lot, but yeah, it's a good song. And it's the 20 year because if you wait 30 years, it's too long, right? People want to, and so I think there's actually a business behind this whole thing. And so a lot of times you look at what today is super popular in 1919 and 2019. And by 2021, people are going, ah, stop wearing those sunglasses, right? And, and then fast forward 20 years from now, those very likely will become popular again. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I do think that's part of what happens. I also wonder if what happens when we talk about things like music. So let's say music. Yeah. So music that it's there's more music being made now by more people probably than ever in the history of man. More well, music that's for certain being recorded, more music available because there's so much music available to share so easily as a whole that music is devalued. Mm-hmm. So in the past there was a smaller amount of music recorded available. It was more it it was what hit was from a smaller batch yeah and it's easier to say or to feel even oh that was meaningful because it was so important that song was so important when we were kids and then now there's just so much of it and there's so much not not even bad music media media mediocre music yeah sure and it's weird it's like almost it it's like fast fashion for music it's like it's in today yeah. and out tomorrow. It well not it's, even not even in today. It's like it's like made today. Yeah. And forgotten and forgot it's also made and it's consumed so quickly and it's so meaningless 
but so many people are doing it. It's a, it's, a, but I do want, like, I wonder, so I wonder this, I mean, what you think about this. So if we say that as a society, we're, we're not valuing excellence socially, like, like we did maybe a few, a few even 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, 20 years ago, whatever it is, yeah. even five years ago. Yeah. Um, what they, I, a great book called the winner take all society. Right. So yeah. we're, so we're not valuing excellence like we maybe would normally do. We're raising every, telling everyone they can be something. So everyone's making music. Everyone's writing stories. Everyone's, I think they're making more movies now than ever before. Yeah. Watch, wa- not watching more than ever before, but making, look at the TV shows. So many TV shows, everything's getting, everyone's generating so much more stuff. Yeah. It's not like there's more great stuff. In a way, it feels like there's less great stuff. Maybe mm-hmm. it's the same amount of great stuff, but there's just the noise is so is so uh it just blocks your view. It's hard to find the excellent things. Well, there's just so much content. So much con- yeah. but so much uh, meaningless content. Right. So much mediocrity. I'll I'll, I'll use yeah. a good per- parallel because I'm a big hockey fan. So I I we grew up in an era where there was a little bit of expansion. I mean, the, you know, the, the New Jersey Devils joined the NHL in 1987, and that was a big deal. They had a new team join. I mean, you had the original six, and then they. But then there was this massive expansion that happened in like the I think it was like the late 80s, early 90s, where you had like the San Jose Sharks, and um, you had uh, you know Florida Panthers, and they had some. And what happened for the next decade? was what I viewed as real crap hockey. Mm -hmm. And it was because all of a sudden there weren't like 200 NHLers in the, in the league, there were 300. And so you just had this, like, you know, this sort of dilution of talent. Yeah. Right. And it, and it honestly took like a decade. And now they're starting to finally do some more expansion, but the NHL's never gone through that mass expansion process. I think they learned their lesson that you can't just, but what's happening societally uh, with what you're describing is, even things like this podcast, it's so easy for some schmuck like me to now put some equipment together and be a po- podcaster. And and now there's a gazillion other people doing this. And who's going to listen to this? I don't know, Car. Maybe you and I will only get like our wives. Maybe if yeah. we not, not enough. my wife. <laughs> but uh, um, so I think that's the uh, that's what I think that's a good parallel. Mm-hmm. But the difference is. Uh, the NHL is a controlled environment. They were able to go, you know what? We kind of made a mistake. We shouldn't do that again. Like, like when you do expansion, it's got to be more controlled. And But what you're talking about, there's way more forces at na- of nature at, at play here. Yeah. That, and and it'll be interesting to see. Here's something else to think about is like, yeah. we have these fond memories as kids, certain songs that got played on the radio and they were at the top hit for like a month because no one else, you know, music yeah. wasn't produced that. A movie we, would be in the theater for six months. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, you wanted to go see E.T. Yeah, like if you couldn't see it tomorrow, you'd go next week or the week mm-hmm. after because it was there for a long time. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with our kids when yeah. they get to our age. Well, they yeah. have things that they will remember that will be meaningful enough to them in the same way that we've had for, for us. Well, because they might view it differently. Well, let's. So I mean, two, two quick things. One is let's talk about universities. You send a kid to university today, the meaning of that kid being university today is almost nothing degree dependent if you're in the you're, if you're in oh stem yeah. if you're in stem it's still valuable uh, a lot of the other uh, a degree if you come up with a degree in university it's expected it's not it's there's oh yeah a degree a, an undergraduate look i hire tons of people i yeah. will not look i will not interview someone who doesn't have a four-year degree yeah 
Okay, so that's a, that's an issue for our kids, but let's let's I want to take a step back now. So let's just hypothesize that part of the problem with society is just everyone's just there's so much noise and it's hard to identify what's actually good. And you said the hockey, right? And it's correcting itself. Yeah, I think it's I think it's gotten better. Yeah. I mean, they, I think they, because they what's happened over time is you just have more players. There's been more, you know, like more adoption of the game, you know, yeah. like they got that uh, Austin Matthews first first NHL. I think I don't know if he got drafted number 1, but he's like a top player for the uh, Maple Leafs and he came from 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 Arizona. Right. Well, so I, I think it's just a matter of like at the time when they expanded, it's about the ratio of talent to teams. Yep. Now yeah. The no, there's, yeah, now no, there's just, been a couple extra teams added, but how many yeah, and there's millions where, of hockey players? And there's right? just way more players around the world, right? Like if so I think that's what it just caught up, right? And yeah. population growth. I mean, just purely yeah. by that. Yeah. So but I think what you I think what you could hypothesize with sports, again, there are clear goals. You can clearly say one player is better than another player because you can't hide talent, athletic talent. It's just in front of your face, there's stats. Right. You win games, you lose games. It's very clear, I think, and sure. easy for people to separate amazing hockey players from subpar hockey players. But then you go to music. No one wins a song. No one, like, you don't win stats at a song. You, you know, and it's like, and so what do we, so then what do we do? And so I'm like, this is a problem that I'm tangling with myself. Like, if that's the problem, if the problem is there's too much noise and too much stuff being made, then how do we, how do we recognize, um, excellence and what and and how do we how do how does it dig itself up out of the thing what you could say yeah. oh excellence will transcend the mediocrity mm -hmm. no, um, no matter what the situation is you could everyone could be but wasn't that the point of having uh you should pull it up on the website mm -hmm. imdb and rotten tomatoes i mean what's interesting here's something mm -hmm. i don't know if you ever i'm assuming you have gone into imdb before yeah and, sure yeah so they actually have a listing of the top movies of all time yeah shawshank redemption is number one yeah and the godfather i think is number two yeah and and what's interesting is you look at the top 20 a lot of them are movies from like 1950s and whatnot and but then there's a few more recent movies like avengers endgame yeah is all of a sudden like number yeah, sure. 35 yeah, over, sure, and sure. it's only came out a couple of weeks ago yeah and so it makes me and it's based all it, that's based all on the aggregate user ratings yeah yeah well here's the problem here's the problem with that okay is what's the most popular what's the most popular flavor of ice cream uh, pistachio Van vanilla oh vanilla okay right vanilla yeah. it's in every store if there's ice cream at every, it's going to be vanilla and it's the most popular because it is the most base yeah it's but never the most plain vanilla. <laughs> it's never it's never people are never like, oh, I can't wait to have some vanilla ice cream. Yes. You know what? I would really like some vanilla ice cream. It's just like, oh, I like vanilla. Yeah. And everyone kind of is again drawn towards this mediocrity of vanilla. Right. Right. And so as a it's, social media is is turning everything into vanilla because as we chase likes and retweets and, and thumbs up and whatever and like rate me higher, we're all rating and pushing up vanilla. We're not pushing up unique transcendent flavors yeah the th interesting thing about art is the art that resonates is always the unique and the transcendent yeah so by that i mean it's the surprise and it's the thing that surprises you towards a direction of like almost a transcendent feeling like almost like when you like why like how do we recognize art like it doesn't make sense that we value one aesthetic over the other yeah sure but we do and because we do, and it doesn't make sense, well, there must be something there. 
And if we are orientating ourselves towards an aesthetic that transcends vanilla, what does it even mean? And how can some people transcend towards one point and the other people towards another point? It's like the problem with those aggregates is they, they don't work with art. Because right. art always surprises and reorientates the person that's uh, consuming the art. Sure. So it's like the song that's like, oh, that's a song. And then there's the lean in. You caught the lean yeah. in, you're right. Yeah. And if you hear an actor performing, it's always like, oh, it's, oh, I, I didn't expect them. Or the story. Oh, that's a twist. And you're like, yeah. it's the lean. It's, it has to, the surprise. The surprise itself is imbued in the art. So you'll never be surprised with vanilla, right? But in an aggregate system, you'll always rate vanilla higher because Avengers Endgame is the vanilla of movies right now. Right. The best Are you tasting. Get in trouble for saying that? It, no, no. no. <laughs> but it's the best tasting vanilla ice cream out there, right? Sure. But it's not like I don't know how many people came away from that movie and be like, "I was." It was so unexpected. Right. You will never believe what yeah, happened what in happened. Avengers Endgame. Yeah. You'll never believe it. Like this strange thing happened, and it it changed my point of view. Yeah. And I think art. The why why we want art and why we celebrate art is because it manifests potential, but it does so in a way that changes the viewer from having either witnessed it or been part of it or consumed it. Like there's some kind of reorientation towards again, this transcendent state, whatever that is, like whatever that is, like it has to change you by having read it, watched it, consumed it, listened to it, whatever. (laughs) Well, okay. So on that, on that sort of theme, yeah. let's. Here's the list here, right? So we looked number one of the IMDb top rated movies, and I, I don't know how the algorithms work on this. It's probably a, a combination of <clears throat> the rating that the movie got plus the number of votes, that type of thing. And I, yeah. I mean, I will say that one of the things I love about this, at least as a consumer, I, well, who are the guys that used to do that show once a week? Uh, that was a movie or once a month. It was a heavy guy and a tall guy. They. Um, who are those two guys? You like know? a podcast? No, 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 no. This is going back to oh, the 80s. Oh, Sis- Siskel and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, yeah. And the problem with that show was you yeah. got the opinion of two guys. And if they didn't like, they gave, they always had the thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. And if they give a thumbs down, both of them, for what could be a great movie, you know, it was like, I think it was horrible for the all the people who put time and money into that. So that's what I like about this. But I do see what you're saying because I've never re- watched Adventures Endgame, but I'm pretty sure you're right. If I walked away, I wouldn't walk away with, uh, going like if you asked me a year later, do you remember that amazing movie you watched, Avengers Endgame? I'd probably be like, okay, which one was the Endgame one versus the? But Shawshank Redemption, Crystal had never seen that movie. We watched it for the first time with her. Well, I've, it was my like eighth time watching it. Yeah, but she, watched, she watched it for the first time. <laughs> yeah. about two months ago because I, I couldn't believe she hadn't. We she, she was like blown away. Yeah. But, and it is one of those lean in type movies, right? Yeah. Like it's it all really of, all of these are though. If you look yeah. at this list, this is like a pretty like this But is but then you could make the movies. argument that Dark Knight, I mean, was that really a lean in yeah? Andrew, that yeah. was like I don't I mean I what can't do you think, speak. Well Oh no. Let me see the let me scroll scroll let me yeah. let's, let's, let's let me see further down the list. And then I also wonder how much of this is a factor of also um the fact that movies you know, if a movie's been around a lot longer it gets more votes. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, this and because it's this one here, Angry Men from 1957, yeah. right? It's it's had. I mean, granted, IB, IMDb hasn't been around since 1957, but the movie's been around enough. People have been able to watch it yeah. that it's got a lot. Now, I couldn't believe that Fight Club. I mean, I was surprised to see that in the top ten. That was, in, yeah. Did you like Fight Club? 
Loved Fight Club. Did you? Loved it. Interesting, though, when it came out, huge financial disaster, set back David Fincher's career, bazillion. My favorite movies often do this. The Thing, the remake of The Thing with yeah. uh, Kurt Russell, huge financial failure, that movie. It really hurt John Carpenter's career, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Fight Club, huge financial failure when it came out. I love that movie. Another movie, The Shining, one of my the favorite Shining. movies of all time. Huge, huge. I think it's further down. It's not too right. far. Yeah. Huge failure in its time. Um, in the year those movies came out, they would not have received those vanilla votes because they weren't the vanilla movies. Like over time, society has caught up to, has caught up to them. Yeah. But at the time, those were. Those, were they just ahead of them, ahead of their time? Well, you could say they were either ahead of their time and they caught up, or you could say they they changed something, and then they they poked a hole, and then society started funneling into that hole. And that's why I, I think that's why I think art does actually. Yeah. It like changes the orientation, and it's sometimes it's slow stream, and sometimes it's a, a barrage. Yeah. But it changes the public awareness, and that's you know that's, that's a good point. Like that what was that movie where the two men kiss for the first time on a big oh, movie. Oh, Bro- Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain, yeah. right? Yeah, would it be a good example of what you're referring to there. Well, I would call that the I would call that a something's parallel, but that's more of a social change. Okay. The movie itself was very artfully made, and I love the yeah. movie, but that was a social moment that did kind of the same thing. Yeah, but um, I I mean. I, this again. This is this is why I don't I don't trust aggregate voting systems because they reward vanilla and in time yeah. the cream of the crop will rise up. Yeah. But never in the moment. Like in the moment, often the best works of art are uh, are are undervalued or are, are made fun of. The Shining it won Razzies. Um, Jack Nicholson won a Razzie for his performance. People thought it was horrible. They thought the movie was horrible. What's a Razzie? It's the opposite of an Oscar. Oh. <laughs> really? It's like an award <laughs> show where people go and make fun of people. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, you know what would be interesting? We should almost screenshot this and then fast forward. You and I will do a podcast uh, yeah. 10 years from now when we're a little more older and grayer yeah. and see see if this list changes much because I was really surprised to see. Um, check. Just do a quick uh, control F and find uh, Endgame on there, Ross, because it, it, I just was surprised to see. Yeah, you can look it up on there, and you'll see where it ranks. But it's, uh, yeah. Um, I remember uh, going back a few years ago. Uh, I asked you what one of your favorite movies were. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember this conversation. No, no, no. Yeah, what did yeah. I say? You you gave me three names. Oh, yeah. So this was this was back. This was back. In, well, it was, it was actually the <clears> night we went to watch for the first time. Watched um, Walking Dead. Okay. At your place yeah. on yeah. on uh, October thirty first. The director of that. The director of that um, directed Shawshank Redemption. Oh really, Frank Darabont? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and there's a shining at fifty-two. Fifty-two. Yeah. And so I, I said, Kari, like, what are what are your th- favorite movies? Yeah. And so you gave me three, two of which I had already watched. One of them was Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. The second one was Terminator, the original yeah. Terminator. Yes. And which I both of those I loved. Yeah. And then the third one was a Requiem for a Dream. Right there, number sixty-three. Yeah, Requiem yeah. for a Dream. Yeah. That was one of the most disturbed. That was that was a lean back, then, and then <laughs> right. lean forward, and then lean back and feel like I'm in a bar. <laughs> right, right, right. That was one of the most. But there's a really good example you're describing earlier. I don't know if I'd ever want to watch it again because it was one of the most disturbing. Like I, I, Crystal and I watched that, and we were like, we were so disturbed, <laughs> and I was so angry. I was like, why did Kari even tell me to watch this movie? This is horrible. I felt so. I I felt horrible inside. Right. 
And but it was so well done because I think that's part of the whole point of guys like you. What your goal I think is, or I don't know if this is your goal, but what I I think where you get rewarded is if you can make guys like me feel extremely angry or extremely happy or extreme, like have this profound emotional change. And whether it's Shawshank Redemption or Requiem for a Dream, that that movie I walked away and I'm like, oh my god, I'm not ever going to ever recommend this to anybody. But <laughs> in a weird twisted way, I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad you recommended it. Well, yeah, I mean, I have I have friends that feel the same way um, about that movie. That movie's hard because I don't I I don't get those feelings from people, so I don't I don't go out to set people up for that movie. But a lot of people do react very, very. Vi- it's a very visceral movie. In um, your defense, I asked you, you didn't tell me yeah, to watch this. Movie. No, to- totally, totally. <laughs> I also know that just from my research lately, that you know your personalities will dictate your openness to. So 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 if your big five creativity or your big five personality traits are um, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, aggressiveness, and uh, neuroticism, I think. Um, so there's a personality type where just like if you're very open, you're probably very creative or whatever, and you may ingest crazy ideas with less judgment, even internal judgment, even reaction. And if you're more conscientious, like structure, you know, you can have, we're all different uh, levels of each. Um, you will be, you'll react more in actual disgust. So for instance, the wall. So in the States, liberals are more open. They're more concerned about openness. They want, they want people immigrating. I don't know. It might help them with your election cycle as well, whatever, but conservatives are more like order structure. How are we going to pay for this? It's going to destroy our economy, both valid points, but it's that kind of reaction to these things also. I mean, it's just how we view the, it's how we ingest the world. And here's what's interesting is your personality traits do not change over time. So kind of how you're born is kind of how you'll remain for the rest of your life. So we can be aware of how we react to things and adjust our behavior to try to become more whole, inclusive people or whatever, integrated, integrated people. Um, but what, how I react to that movie is it just was like so, f- I found it fun because it's like, it's so creative and a lot of new ideas. It's so new. And I just had a lot, so much surprises. And again, that surprise factor. Yeah. But the con- the emotional content is very dark. Oh, it is. Yeah. I yeah. just, I, I was watching that movie yeah. and I was just like, why don't they just stop? Just stop this. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a great movie. I mean, I, in a weird way. <laughs> I mean, I walked away and I, like I said, I don't think I'd ever watch it again. Uh, because I was just so disturbed by it, but right. it, yeah. But here's what's worse. Here's what yeah. I think is worse, and I think that to me, yeah. So I was gonna say, yeah. I'm glad I watched that over, you know, one of these vanilla. Well, you, you would have forgotten it. You would have. Oh forgot. yeah, I'll never we wouldn't forget have, this. We wouldn't have <laughs> talked about it. Um, but here's what here's what I find more interesting is, again, this idea of there's too much noise, and how do we, how do we identify or how do we pick out excellence among the noise when excellence itself is not we we're not allowed to even reward it anymore like i am i'm very interested in this idea now of like of um okay so say for instance you you have this favorite song and you totally respond to you're like oh that's amazing 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 i love this song and then you hear a song that sounds kind of like it and your first reaction is like oh there's another song that sounds just like that and then your your second reaction is like oh that's just a ripoff of that other song i love sure like why is that why is one song that sounds like another song you like Creates a, creates a reaction of repulsion, and the song you like creates a reaction of like oh of of like amazingness, and I think there's this 
I think it has to get again do with this idea that great art tr orientates people towards something that's truer than true. And if you a copy of something that orientates yourself something is true is is like you're it's like a public deception. It's yeah, like a say, it's you like a lie. Deceive me. Yeah, it's a falsity. Right. If I go to a doctor and he has the ability to diagnose my illness, I will really appreciate that. If I go to a guy who dresses like a doctor and doesn't know what he's talking about, eventually I'll, I'll be pretty mad at him when I'm dying in the hospital from whatever uh, some some illness. Like I do think we have some inbuilt inbuilt orientation towards truth that in some eras would be considered religious and in in my era, I consider it uh, creativity. Yeah, you know, I agree. And you can see that in kids. We're going to take a quick break, yeah. and we're going to come back. We're going to pull up some of your images of some of the uh, comics that you've uh, drawn, both maybe some old ones, some new ones, and talk a bit more about you know your experience in this business and where you kind of want to see things go from here. Perfect. Okay, here we are back with Kari Andrews uh, talking about all sorts of neat things about uh, art, and we're going to dive into some of your artwork you do today. Now, you said earlier you have you're kind of a unique uh, artist in that you do in the comic world. You were said there was like people who draw, people who ink, or something. What was that? Yeah, so the how it generally breaks down is there's a writer who writes a script, okay, kind of like a movie script, yeah, and then someone who draws that script in pencil, okay, and then someone who traces and embellishes those pencil lines in ink. Okay. And then someone who colors that artwork, usually in a computer. Okay. And then someone else who letters it. That's kind of the, that's the process of making comics. And, and, do you, and you do all four? Yeah. I don't and letter, but I do, yeah, I write, I write, write pencil, ink, and color. Yeah. You write pencil, ink, and color. Yeah. Okay. And, and is the coloring part, I mean, you would have, when you started in the, doing this, would have been with, you wouldn't have been using computers. I was using computers. You actually, were. in art school... Computers were just being used to color comic books. Yeah, and I had a I had a kind of a cool little Volkswagen van, and it got I was away for the weekend visiting uh, back home, and someone uh, someone just slammed into it and destroyed it, and I used the insurance money to buy my very first computer, okay. and I started coloring, <laughs> practicing my coloring skills on my on my computer and uh, quit art school. That's basically what happened. Really. And is it is it harder to color with computers than with a an actual just a, a selection of color like uh, pencil crayons and that kind of thing? Well, it's just another tool. So mm -hmm. in the old days, what they would actually do is there would be a colorist who would color a guide with inks, colored inks, and then there would be little old ladies in an assembly line that would cut out film to hand create these kind of um, uh, printing process plates. So it was a very kind of a weird, laborious process. There was like a, any kind of coloring back then for whatever illustration involved, yeah. like people cutting out film and creating these plates yeah. to print off of. And then things became uh, 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 mechanized. And then w when the computers came in, it really changed the whole, the whole industry. Yeah. And you can now color with more colors, more range, more gradations. Colors get richer, darker. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to actually coloring, so we're, yeah. like we're looking at this one here, for example, I'm, I'm assuming everything we're looking at here, you probably drew. I did. Yeah. Okay. So you would have penciled this first. So this, this one is interesting. So that's also, I also do covers. So covers, okay. sometimes I'll do, I'll draw it in a comic book style ink, traditional like an interior page, but oftentimes I'll paint the covers 
and I'll either paint them on a computer or on paper, depending on the look I'm going for. Okay. And this Batman, when I painted on paper mm. with uh, acrylic paint and airbrush, pencil crayons, kind of an old school style. Because here's what I found is like in comic books, I was one of the first um, artists to really paint on the computer. Okay. Um, and for a while, it was fun to do the thing that other people couldn't do, right? That's like fun to. Yeah. I always, I always want to zig when the, I feel people are zagging. Um, and at a certain point, everyone was painting and coloring on the computer. So then it's like, oh, well, now I'm going to do it like old school. Because <laughs> you always want, you know, yeah. I, it's, just the, it's just like a, it's just an urge that uh, you get to yeah, like just. percent Yeah, I do the same thing in a, in, when it comes to buying and selling stocks. Yeah. I like to buy, Warren Buffett was famously quoted as saying, the best time to buy stocks is when everybody else is selling. Yeah. And the best no. time to sell is when everybody's buying. It's this, I find it's the same with the art. Um, Contrarian. Contrarian, contrarian, oppositional. Yeah. Right. Like it's like you want to resist. Uh, you want to resist. Um, uh, being part of the herd and being vanilla. Yeah, vanilla. You yeah. want to resist the masses. Yeah. So it's not that there's no value in the masses. It's just that you. It's just that your role as an artist is to is to create the aha moment, and you'll yeah. never create the aha moment. By trying to figure out what the herd is trying Looking, to, yeah, you know, you always yeah. want to be like, look over there and then have the, you know, people find value in what's over there and then yeah. look over there. And like, yeah. that's, that's the <laughs> dance. And my favorite artist, whether like look at musicians, like Madonna is my favorite. Yeah. Um, growing up was one of my famous musicians. She's always changing it up. Yeah. And in comic books, Frank Miller, one of my favorite artists. Plus she was a babe when she was younger. She was totally, yeah. she, she was, still is yeah. in my view yeah. for her age. Totally. <laughs> totally. So, when it comes to do, doing these types of uh, covers, yeah. Um, now this one is digital that we're yeah. looking at right okay. now. So this is a digital painting. Yeah. So, do you get direction from DC when you're doing this, or how does your how does it work? How do you go from 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 being Kari, the creative artist who's just doing stuff, to actually getting paid to produce these things and they get to be on a cover? Like, do you get a call up and say, "Hey, Kari"? We're doing a new cover. We need you to do this. Or do you just submit things and they hope that they're going to buy it? Or how does it work? Um, so there's editors and comic books, and they kind of facilitate all the all the artists and writers. And generally what happens, I'll get an email saying, hey, would you like to do a Batman cover? And I'll say, sure. And then I will submit three quick layouts. One will get approved, and then I'll do, I'll do it. And the style that I do it in is pretty much my choice. Like, I've been doing it for a long time, so people kind of know. Even though they know, like, a lot of artists kind of draw one way and that's what, you know, that's what you get and that you want that. It's a better way to do it. Like you draw, you, if you're Ferrari, you're selling Ferraris, yeah. right? You're not selling. Yeah. You got a style. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you bank that style and, and monetize that si yeah. style. But I, 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 I don't do it that way. I, 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 again, I'm a bit of a contrarian. Yeah. Uh, but your style can change over time too. I'm sure. Yeah. My style changes, but project to project, like yeah. cover to cover. So, um, this one, Oh, the next one here. So this one I started on pencil and ink on paper and rendered it out, and then I colored it, just the colors on the computer. Okay. So this is a, a bit of both. Who bit. is this? Who is this lady? This is Angela, and she's uh, the Thor is being reflected in her sword, her mighty sword there. So she's about to lay waste to the god of thunder. Okay. Yeah. Now, is it, so is this, for example, Angela? Um, she looks like she works out of the gym, and uh, gets custom, custom, <laughs> custom made suits. Yeah. <laughs> So did she, is Angela a real character or did you just make her up? No, she's an established character. Okay. Yep. Are yep. there any, are there any characters that you just make up? 
Yeah, so I wrote in true Iron Fist for a year and a half, two years. And while I was doing that, I created, I don't have any images from it, but I created... Um, what is Iron Fist? Sorry, that's a character? Iron Fist is a character. There was a recent Netflix show, Iron Fist. He's like okay. a kung fu guy and his fists glow. And yeah. he was... You, you created Iron Fist? I didn't. He was created in the 70s, kind okay. of as a knockoff of David Carradine from Kung Fu. Okay. During the, during the martial arts craze in mm -hmm. the 70s. And I was tasked with, he hadn't been around in eight years and they just wanted to, you have to keep bringing back these characters, keep publishing them, or you'll lose your... Um, your following? Not just the following, you can actually lose the characters. So if a character isn't actively being um, created, you can lose your trademarks. Or oh, whatever. really? And so there, but even just to keep characters current yeah. and relevant yeah. and keep popular. And, and then also, yeah. I think there were plans to make it into a Netflix show, maybe even back mm -hmm. then. And they just wanted, there's usually there's a agenda for the year from publishers. And like, hey, we want to bring back these five characters. Yeah. And so, do they ever ask you for your opinion? Yeah, well, I had just finished directing a movie, and I was just like, I just called over to Marvel and be like, "Hey, I'm back now. I'm ready for some more comic book stuff." And they were like, "Oh, great! Here's here's five characters we're thinking of doing things with. Do you respond to any of them?" One was Iron Fist, and I uh, didn't know the character that well, but I love martial arts, and uh, and um, I was like, "Let me read Iron Fist." I read it, and I was so inspired. I was like, "Oh, here's an idea," and just a one page idea, and they're like, "Great, go for it," and then I could just. You and know. so what did you create from there? Well, when, what was weird, I think it's because we live in Vancouver and there's, you know, it's such a large Asian population. Yeah. But in the Iron Fist mythology, there's not a lot of Asian characters, which is weird because it's like a Kung Fu character. Yeah. So I just specifically wanted to create some more Asian characters. So I created this Asian detective, this Asian monk, this little Asian um, uh, monk girl. Like I, I, just, I just created a bunch of characters that I wanted to fill up my story with and just okay. expand the universe. And the deal is, like, you know going in, Whatever you create, Marvel owns. Okay. You get a tiny bit of money if it, something happens, if they get to make movies or TV shows, but really it's just, um, it's, it's, you're not going to get rich by creating a new character from Marvel. Okay. But it's, you know, you want, I, you know, I have an urge. I want to do these things. I want to create yeah. characters. So yeah, you enjoy it and yeah. it helps pay the bills. And, and, and so, the, so anytime you're drawing something for Marvel, that's yeah. their material. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and they own it completely. Is there any time where you're able to draw your own thing and it's yours? Like, yes. Like if you just sat down one day and you're super inspired to create your own comic book personality or something like that, could you do that? Yeah. So after my run in Iron Fist, I did a book at Image Comics where I owned the character. I created a brand new character called Renato Jones, and he was Image Comics was the one you said is just below just below Marvel DC. Mar okay. Yeah, so there's yeah. a big two, and then the kind of the next tier down. Yeah. Um, in, in image that has Walking Dead, it has Spawn, it has all, oh, okay. um, Deadly Class, it has all these cr creator-owned books. Yeah. So I created my own character called Renato Jones, and he um, is a guy who hides amongst the super rich to judge them for their super rich crimes. <laughs> kind of like a, rever a reverse Batman. Yeah. Um, so I created this kind of wealth-fueled action-adventure revenge tale that was... Very bananas. I wonder if he would expose uh, all the money laundering activity that's going on in BC. With all, <laughs> uh, could be, yeah, yeah. Made for TV movies. Well, I had, I had him. In, it's so funny. I had him go after kind of like a Foxconn type corporation. You know, yeah. kind of, is this the is the funny? The thing. So what happens yeah. with something like that? Are you able to monetize that? Are you able to turn that into actual? Con I mean, First of all, do people even buy comic books anymore or do they just buy digital versions or how does yeah. it work? Well, most, the majority of comic books are still sold in paper and they, they come, out, they come okay. out every Wednesday mm -hmm. and then they, oh. get, they get collected into trade paperbacks or graphic novels. 
and those come up both in comic book stores and bookstores like Chapters or whatever. Yeah. And digital steals are are a thing now, but there's still a small portion of the. So most of it's still paper based. Yeah, people like to hold comics yeah. in their hand. Do most are most comic books that are sold? They they all get sold released on Wednesdays. Yeah. Why? Yeah. That's just how it is. It, it was always. Um, DVDs on Tuesday, comic books on Wednesday. That was me growing up. That's what That's I would. Funny, so yeah. so comics. So I go down to my local comic book store. What is the probability that most of those people are going to actually read them and throw them in the backpack and just you know pass them on to their friends versus like actually as a collector, they're not. Because you gave me something there, Ross. That's all. It looks like no one's ever even opened that thing. Uh, that's because Michael Rosinka from our team wants to get an autograph on it. Oh, so. there you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Well, here's what's interesting. So yeah. comic books has, has gone through different waves of readers. And s- there's also a collectability factor in comic books. You, there's auctions every week on Heritage Auctions, old comic books. There's tons of auction sites where you just people, older readers especially, maybe they don't buy new books anymore, but they still love them. And they buy and trade and auction and like collectible comic books. Um, and the they can be worth a lot of money. The collective, the collectible market fell out in, or crashed basically, in the right when I was breaking in, in the late '90s. When I was breaking in, the editors were like, "Listen, there won't be comic books in five years from now. You should like draw for video games or something." And that's when I broke in at Marvel. It was at the bottom when Marvel had declared bankruptcy protection. It was right <laughs> at the bottom. But the cool thing was, it was because the because of that, there was so much creativity allowed in the process. Like you could do whatever you wanted to do. Um, these days there's been a weird resurgence in collectability. There's a lot of variant covers and I end up doing a lot of variant covers. So now for every issue we'll have like two or three different covers. Okay. And collectors track the specific covers like stocks and there's websites that track the prices up and down, like immediately on eBay. They're like trying to, make money and it's like it's all the collectability has always been a factor in comic books it's just like the application of the collectability has changed over time and so the big thing right now is this variant cover marketplace which is fun because it lets me do a ton of cool covers and my friends do these covers and the other weird thing is why that happened is because i believe the artwork of the interior pages has fallen so people still and the value of writers has been overvalued the past few years. So in the 90s, the artist was overvalued, and it created this collectability market where the stories were not great, the art was amazing, it crashed. And then the reverse happened, where the writers became overvalued. The writers overvalued, the art was not valued, so a lot of substandard art was hired to add a savings to then pay for expensive storytelling. Okay. And but people love art and stories in comic books. It's the dance between the two that people love. Yeah. So the love of the art has been diverted into these variant covers. Okay. So uh, people are really into them right now. Was there ever an era in your view, going back to even before we were born, thinking about the whole era of uh, since comics have been around, mm-hmm. is there any era where um, there was kind of like that almost perfect fit between the quality of the art and the quality of the storytelling that you look back and go, man, that was a, that was a phenomenal. That was a, that was a big movement there. Um, I, I think most people would answer whatever era they were first introduced to comics books in. So yeah. for me, it was the eighties. Yeah. 
like there was a lot of writer slash artists, very few now, but a lot of writer artists back then, like Frank Miller was around then, Dark Knight was there, and like it was a lot of like big books. Books were changing. That's the area that is the era where people were like, we need to show people that comic books just aren't for kids anymore. Right. That was like a big thing back then. People were trying to legitimize comic books. And now in today's world, most comic books are not for kids at all. It's like kind of an adult readership. And in a weird way, there's a, they don't make comics for kids very much anymore, except for things like the number one comic book for the past two years, but it's sold in bookstores called dog man. I told you about that before a little yeah. bit. That's by Scholastic. Pull and it's that like, up on the website. I'd like to see that, Ross. It's really it's funny. It's called Dogman. It's Dogman. It's, it's created by the creator of Captain Underpants. That was a movie that came out. It's a series okay. of books. Dave Pilkey. Um, so it, he's a comic book artist? No. He's, a, he's a, young, uh, a young fiction writer. Okay. Who also oh, he's a writer. Okay. Car- does some cartooning. And he created this. Um, Is that one? It? It's a, yeah, it's a whole series. There's like eight of them or something. Maybe six, something yeah. like that. Uh, it's four kids. It's super. It's really funny. It's yeah. a, it's a bit subversive. It's like there's comedy for adults and for kids. Yeah, yeah. Like he dances that line pretty well, and it's just this weird character where there's a the head of a dog on the body of a cop, and they go and battle. Yeah, an evil cat and like robots and stuff. <laughs> I was really into Calvin and Hobbes back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah that was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I read those for probably like ten years, honestly. Yeah, no, I I used to love it too. Were there any um, artists that you, you mentioned earlier that you know? Um, in the world, you, because there's so few comic book artists, there isn't. It's not. It's very uncommon to have like some mentor who kind of takes you through the path of yeah. direction. Were there any? Uh, were there any artists that, as you grew up, you kind of were inspired by in the same way? Like I grew up, you know, I thought I'd play in the NHL. I'm still waiting, by the way. The Canucks yeah. want to give me a phone call. <laughs> um, but I grew up, you know, being. I was a huge Paul Coffey fan and yeah. Harold Schnapps because he couldn't score and neither could I. And so he, but he made the NHL. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I love, um, I, I love so many artists. The funny thing about comic books is it's so easy to see the influence of one artist from the other. Okay. Like you can literally trace through. So who influenced you? It would be easy if I knew the mar- market well enough, would I be able to tell who you were influenced by? Uh, maybe you could definitely see some influences like guys like, uh, Todd McFarlane, Frank Miller, Jim Steranko, like, and then I could, t- I could tell you what influenced them. Todd McFarlane was like, Michael Gold and I could tell you it influenced like like you can literally trace back visually the lineage really? and the growth through few different people through different people and through generations like the the this this like I think cre- creativity is like a life form like it yeah. like travels through people yeah. like it travels through me and then when I do something people find worthwhile they get inspired and then they do something and it really is like a parasitical life form that's kind of like goes through people and through time and continues towards something. Yeah. So you, it's fun to see the influences of, of artists. And if you're aware enough, you can see like what, what's see, going on. Yeah. Just like actors, like look at Christian Slater. He was doing his best Jack Nicholson when he first arrived. Right. Right. You can see that in comic books. You can see it in yeah. acting. You can see it in movies. Like you sure. can see these waves and it's yeah. what Politicians, I find. I mean, yeah. 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 What I find really interesting is this, idea, like our civilization is so young but as a species, we've been around for so long. Like, how far back do the waves we're experiencing go? Because there's these ancient. I'm, I'm a. I watch a lot of YouTube while I draw. Yeah. There's a lot of these sites where they show these ancient monolithic structures that predate um, what our general understanding of history is. And there's. Um, You're talking about like the Inca temples or like pre-Inca. The, Pre-Inca. So pre-Inca, pre-Egypt, oh. there's like in Japan, buried in the ocean, there's these monolith, ancient monolithic steps. 
people just don't account for. There's, um, if you look at um, a lot of these ancient structures, there are larger, more uh, squared off, huge blocks on the bottom. And then as you go up, the blocks get smaller and, and rougher, less refined. So it's like there's all this evidence, growing evidence of uh, lost technology that predates our understanding of, of humanity. And the, they show like 13 years ago, there's probably a global flood and it wiped out a lot of what we know. It's like, it's like, like it's, I, I get obsessed with that stuff while I'm drawing. Cause when yeah. I'm like, when I'm, when I'm creating visually, I like to just stimulate my whatever. Yeah. Curiosity. Do you believe in UFOs and aliens? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, what's interesting is the most ancient records of our time, the Sumerians, show pictograms of flying saucers. They show our galaxy with the correct planets around our sun, plus one extra planet. Really? Planet nine. This is in our most ancient relics around. Way before the internet. Way before the internet. (laughs) So what does that mean? I don't know what that means, but it's pretty cool. Like it's pretty, it's pretty uh, tantalizing. Wow. Um, What are they called? Uh, Sumerians. Sumerians. Yeah. Okay. Ancient Sumer. Oh, those those are the um, the blocks, the monolithic structures in the oceans of Japan. There, did you know there are pyramids in China? No, I had no idea. They're off limits to the general public. They're pyramids around the world. People don't know what they're for. In the Egyptian pyramids, there are no hieroglyphic struct, no hieroglyphics, no markings of any kind. They seem to be functional for some reason, not decorative, not tombs. People don't know. Yeah. I've, I find it fascinating. Yeah, it is so fascinating. It is fascinating. It is. You, you, you um, also direct movies. Yeah. What, how many movies have you done? Two movies. Two, two movies, and then I directed part of an anthology, for a third movie. Okay. And then I've been directing TV for two years. So what was the first movie you directed? The first movie I directed was a, uh, kind of a creature thriller called Altitude. Yeah. It was about a bunch of kids who get lost in a supernatural storm and are hunted by this spaghetti monster tentacle creature in the skies yeah yeah and that i actually remember watching that movie because we were all really excited <laughs> for it it was a good movie it was very embar- yeah. very embarrassing first first uh, effort i mean movies are so crazy because they're so hard to just get going yeah like unless you've done one, you don't understand how hard it is just to get the money the script people yeah. to get behind oh, it's you. amazing they're like one-off uh, well, startups Kari, what yeah. was the bu- budget on that movie well technically it was under two million but in actuality, it was way under $2 million. So was, I don't know what it was. Like, I don't control the money. Yeah. Uh, but would that have... This is the thing that blows my mind yeah. with these. Because I remember, I, I remember when we talked about when, around the time you were directing it or after or before. But, and I don't... I remember the number. I th- I, in my mind, it was somewhere like the half million range or something it like probably that. Was, it probably was half and, million dollars in cash. Yeah. And then a lot and, of paper money. Right. And the thing pretend, that... I, pretend money. Pretend money. Yeah. This is like like, like uh, from the federal government and that kind of thing? Or what do you mean? Well, what generally ha- it was a telephone movie. So generally what happens with a telephone movie is... A what, sorry, movie? Tel- tel- government grant movie. Yeah. Generally what happens with... A t- telefilm. Telefilm. Okay. Generally what happens is they will come in for a portion of your whole budget. Yeah. In cash. That whole budget could be... And I didn't arrange the financing for this movie. Yeah. I don't actually know what we... I don't even know what we actually had to make the movie. Yeah. But you can create a budget of just kind of like pre-selling territories, people promising you money once yeah. the movie gets made, 
banking tax credits because you get tax credits for yeah. filming in BC and hiring locals, and you can bank the value of those tax credits yeah. at a premium from a bank. Yeah. You bank the tax credits, bank the pre-sales. Yeah, because someone else will buy it. A big movie company will buy those tax credits. And Hypothetically, you could construct a financing plan where the only money you ever got in cash was from telefilm, was from telefilm uh, which is a small portion of the total budget. Yeah. And then hypothetically, you could make that whole movie, that small portion of cash, and then a movie could capture the, the rest of the owed money as pure profits. Yeah. That's classically a Canadian system of making movies. Right. Uh, an American system of making movies is just pure profit. Yeah. So what happens there is because it's pure profit, you actually have more people taking chances, more risks. You can make more money in the Canadian system because it's so grant-focused. Even if there is other money, it's so dependent on the government. There's just less movies that get made, and they don't have to make money. Okay. So it's a, it's a bit of a weird system yeah okay yeah i'm sitting there thinking to myself at all taxes i pay i'm like how many of these movies uh are being produced that are just you know are 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 really not achieving much i don't know I well here's the so the argument would be that in hiring the crews and employing the local workforce yeah and then you're generating the income this is the argument between any kind of grants any sure. kind of and this is whether it's georgia yeah or here or toronto or the Dominican Republic, they have their own tax credits, yeah. right? The, the argument is that in hiring all these locals and giving them money- It's driving the economy. It's driving the economy. Yeah. And yeah. if you took that away, the productions will leave, which is what happened to Saskatchewan a couple of years ago. Really? They took, after Corner Gas, that there's, they don't make anything in Saskatchewan anymore because there's no tax credits. Oh, interesting. And they just, you know, productions go where the money is, so. Yeah, that's true. Capital is very fluid. Yeah. All right, we're going to come back in a minute here and we're going to talk a little bit more about Kari Andrews and, and your, uh, both your, your so far experience as a director and where you'd like to see your career go before we wrap this up. Sounds back good. Kari Andrews in, in a minute. Okay, here we are back with uh, Kari Andrews talking about your, uh, your uh, experience as a director. So yeah. the first movie was Altitude. Altitude, yeah. yeah. Um, and by the way, out of interest, if, if most of the funding for that comes from telefilm, like who actually owns the movie? Like if, if this became a, and I'm assuming it was relatively successful. Do you know like how much, like how much money it actually made? So it's only, it's actually a small portion of the, or a smaller portion of the money comes from telephone. Okay. So it depends on the structuring of those finances. Yeah. And that money is recuperable by the government. So oh, it is. Okay. That money gets paid back first. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And then I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't structure these movies and I've only directed one. I'm not sure if they're. I'm not sure if they can generate profits mm -hmm. because it's a grant. I think they can only recoup. Okay. I believe. Okay. The government itself. The government itself. Yeah. I believe can only recoup the investment. Yeah. And they do their first. Yeah. Their first recoup. Yeah. But yeah, that movie was. It seems like a really risky business to finance movies, especially ones that are. Well, whether it's. I mean, I guess the reality is whether it's low budget or, or high budget. If it's high budget you may have more probability of success, but you're also taking a bigger risk because you're spending a lot more money. Yeah, uh, movies I mean, are, it's like, like starting up a movie is like a, is like a startup. Yeah. It's like a one-off startup with a very short very, window. Very small probability of success. Every movie is its own corp. It yeah. runs its own accounting, yeah. and then it closes. It's like a, they're just like a series of one-offs. Yeah. Whereas a TV show can last for eight seasons. That can be a more long-term. Right. Everyone's working for eight years. Yeah. 
How did Altitude do in the end? Do you know? I don't know. I think it did all right for what it was. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the here's the weird part about like that movie. I mean, every artistic endeavor I've had, like it was so hard to just get that first movie up and running. And there, there is, there's almost like this cost that comes with opportunity. So this has always happened to me. And I think it's just how life works. Like I had, when that movie first started filming on day four, and I, I don't tell the story very often because I don't, it's, I feel awkward about talking about it, but I found out one of my, brothers was dying of brain cancer Mm -hmm. as i was filming day four i like took a break from shooting to have a conversation with him on the phone found found this out and then had to go back to shooting it's like it's very strange like and this happened this this kind of like there's like almost like this cosmic like cost to that it comes with any, every opportunity. And it's like every project I've had has had some, like some enormous physical or family or some just kind of emotional or like cost that comes with it. And it's, it seems to come in proportion to the scale of the opportunity. So it's, it can be, hard to understand why and I think it's the only thing that makes sense to me because it happens with everything that every opportunity seems to come with this reaction and I, 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 I can only bring it back to that the struggle is, is the point of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So Altitude was like an important movie for me in many ways, mostly that have nothing to do with the movie itself. And the end product, yeah. It's the pro... It's, and, it's, yeah. it's getting... It was the experience you went through to get there. It's, it's because, it, so let's go back to Mount Everest, right? Mm-hmm. Like why is Mount Everest meaningful? Because it's pointless, right? There's no point to it, sure. but it's really hard. Yeah. And it's only meaningful because it's both really hard and because there's no reason to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what create creating is whether it's creating comic books or directing movies it's almost like the meaning is only because of the struggle and i i mean i could i could go into every project i've done that has some kind of sometimes just like th- throw your life into a tailspin darkness Mm -hmm. but it's 
inherent to the process. And I think it's just like that is in many ways, it's that's what life is supposed to be. Like you have kids, you know how hard raising kids is like Mm -hmm. it like beats you up in ways you don't expect you go through it three times and it, you can, you can just be just like some, some parents don't make it. Some parents leave. Yeah. Sometimes mortally, mm-hmm. but it's, it's meaningful because it's so hard. Like if raising kids was too easy, I don't think we would have a connection with the kids. And I find this with my wife too. Like that is, it's a hard really hard to have a relationship with someone and you can really hurt people you only can you can only really hurt people you really love like there's something about that that means something absolutely and it's in everything i direct has some horrible associated or even if it's just cosmically associated consequence. But you go back and do it again. But it's the struggle is the point of it. Like those mm. fish that are climbing up the cliff. Like that's yeah. the whole point. Like you need it's it's so I find I am desperately I'm always desperately seeking the struggle. Yeah. And I think when you have a society and you take try to take away the struggle from your kids i need to protect you from that what i went through again you're robbing them of life that's i agree i I don't know i agree because i look through some of the hardest things that i've gone through most of which i believe has happened in the last 10 years for me like i i would say that i would never have thought if you'd talked to me in my 20s or 30s that my 40s would have been so tough Mm -hmm that I would have faced so many challenges and, but I've also changed, I think in to the better, I've become wiser. I become more, I believe open-minded in some ways. Um, and even those most really negative experiences have opened up opportunity. They've opened up things for me that if I hadn't gone through them, uh, like I would never, I wouldn't be the person I am. Right, today. and I, I think you may even be able to say this: not, not even the most negative. It's only the most negative experiences have probably created the most significant good, hundred percent, or change, or whatever that is. That's the yin and the yang. It is you were totally. About. It is. Can, I'm drinking the Kool Aid here. You got to like. You got. I think that's like life is a circle. Yeah. And if you if you want to if you want to get up here, you're gonna have to hit the dirt hard and not just once like it's again and again and again and again and again otherwise if you're not if you're here what is that's not life yeah that's barely existing yeah dying is dying is better than this like if you look yeah like look at a plant a plant is either reaching towards the sun or it's dying yeah sure there's no like stasis is its own death yeah I don't know. There's something, and even if it's stopped growing, its roots are getting deeper. Well, it's 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 growing. It's growing underneath the soil. Exactly. So in the winter, the soil is, is digging in, and I think in some ways, like like we have kids, right? It's like you, we have these responsibilities. Those responsibilities 
have a cost mm-hmm. and you know the, I think there was like when I was younger I was almost I think I was very naive but in a good way in an innocent way and it's like the older I get the more I recognize the the um like there is i think a darkness to the world because there is a lightness to the world like you know like you can't you can't not have one without the other like mm-hmm. there's a shadow side to every dimensional form and if you try to pretend there is no darkness either in yourself or the world itself, you, you'll, you'll, you'll never know the light side of, of that. You'll mm-hmm. be living in a, a flat plane of existence, paper thin life. Yeah. hundred percent. I don't know. So for you know where this takes me hmm. is actually to a movie, a movie that was one of my favorite movies is vanilla sky. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's one of your favorite movies. One of my favorite yeah. movies. And then it's actually, it, you know, in a lot of times my favorite movies is, is not because of the entire movie, but a couple of scenes, in the movie, another one of my favorite movies is a league of their own. Really? Yeah. I actually haven't and seen it, that yet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I saw it like 17 times in a oh, oh, league of their own with Madonna. Yeah. With, Ma- yeah, with, with Madonna. Madonna. Yeah. Bringing it. Everything comes back to Madonna. Yeah. yeah. I think wasn't Rosie O'Donnell in that. Too? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's not necessarily the whole movie, but there's certain scenes that yeah. kind of resonate with me because of the struggles I've gone through and the success I've had. Mm-hmm. And why I mentioned those two movies is in Vanilla Sky, I don't even remember the actor's name, but you had Tom Cruise, who was this, you know, he was this wealthy guy who had everything. And, uh, and I think Penelope, Penelope Cruz. Cruz was in yeah. it as well. And, but she was dating... Or she came to the party with the the, the other guy. This is a third actor, a guy I forget his name, um, but he's like Tom Cruise's friend, and he's struggling through life all the time, right? And he's not the rich guy. He's not the good-looking guy. And he says to Tom Cruise in the movie at one point, he says, uh, he talks about the sweet and the sour. He goes, the problem you have, whatever his character name was, mm-hmm. but he says the problem you have, Tom, is is you have only ever had the sweet. So you never really know how good it is because you've never had the sour. You got to have the sour in order to appreciate how good the sweet is. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's totally true. And in the League of Their Own, if you don't mm-hmm. mind, Tom Hanks says to Gina Davis, who was one of my top five when I was a kid. You know, as, as boys, you're like, you know, who are your top five gal- gals? And yeah. Madonna and Gina Davis were. And Gina Davis is crying. He goes, like, "There's no crying in baseball." <laughs> and she says, "But it's just too hard." And he's like, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. Yeah. It's the hard that makes it good. Yep. No, for sure. For sure. Here's what's funny is, here's the other, here's the interesting thing about narrative art, right? Like comic books or movies, they're telling stories and people respond to stories like you just did, right? These are two meaningful stories. Like I found truth. Very meaningful. I found truth that transcended Rosie O'Donnell or whatever, you know, like there was truth there. I orientated myself towards truth. What's interesting is every religion, like every religion is narrative based. Like we're a narrative creature. We're drawn towards stories. Sure. 
Stories inform us. We want to tell stories. I let you know how my day was by telling you a story about some stupid thing that happened or some stupid thing I did or some stupid thing someone else did or some fun, exciting, amazing. Like we just, we could only relate to each other through stories. We're obsessed with stories. We're telling stories all the time. I think that's why this podcast phenomenon is becoming huge Yeah, in a very positive way. Yeah, because people don't live in sound clips. People don't live in like, Give me two minutes of what you do for a job. Who cares yeah. in two minutes what you do yeah. for a job? Yeah, a Twitter, a 30-second Twitter feed is not going to do it for you. Yeah. So when I direct a, a thing, whether it's a TV show or a movie, like I find investigating those stories so, like I just get obsessed about it. And the same with drawing comic, drawing stories. Yeah. And sometimes, if I'm doing a cover... My favorite covers always have some kind of story-based image, like an image that resonates some further narrative, not just a cool picture of whatever. Sometimes you do those, but the ones that you enjoy doing the most kind of like hint at some conflict, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think there's just, for me... Making art is really hard. Like it's really hard to even just like trying to get paid to make art is tough. And yet you keep doing it. Yeah, and I'm doing it. I'm doing very well at it. But it's like you know, it's just like uh, because you have you have a passion for it too. I mean, yeah. But also, again, I think you're like yourself. I I get that from you all the time. Is that you're drawn towards that struggle? Sure. Yeah. And I think that's for me. If I can, if I can pass off anything to my kids, it would be to orientate yourself towards that struggle. Mm-hmm. Like even if it, even if it kills you, at least you, at least you died in the struggle. There's something meaningful there, but dying because, like facing something. Yeah, turning your back and fading away is that's. There's a classic line, a rock song, isn't it? It's better to. Burn out than to fade away. I'm trying to remember who that is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say though, it's it's. It, I th- I think to me that's like that's like a that's a miss. That's almost a truth. Yeah. Because it's it's better to burn out facing adversity, not spiral out into, yeah, into yeah, self destruction, which is more of the rock. <laughs> yeah, that's not exactly the rock fair. <laughs> the rock fair. There's this, you, yeah. You, you, so, okay, so let's go back yeah. to, to you directed Altitude. Yeah, directed Altitude. What year was that? Oh, it was a long time ago. Ross, bring these up for if you don't mind. And then, so Altitude was your first one. Yeah. And, and it sounds like in many ways that was the hard, like you were saying that that's one of the hardest things is that it's the first win. It's the first accomplishment. It's the first experience. Uh, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would go with the third. That's the first experience. Yeah. Not the, win, not the win. Yeah. And then after that, I did a, Cabin Fever, Patient Zero. Okay. That's a, a little horror movie with Sean Astin from Goonies and Stranger okay. Things. Was that a bigger budget? Eh, it was about the, the same. same-ish. Okay. I mean, there's probably a bit, a little bit more real money. Still a lot of paper money, still yeah. a lot of pretend money. Every movie's made with Was that the money. one that you had to film? You went away somewhere. Went to the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Is that where that one was filmed? Yeah. Okay. And I mean, that, that came with like a host, I mean, a host of trouble. 
same thing. Like every opportunity is joined at the hip with some cost. And that was, that was hard for, I mean, even just shooting there was just so hard. Um, and both these scripts, you know, I was kind of a director for hire, uh, directing uh, scripts that were already written. Okay. Which is a different thing than directing your own script. I haven't still haven't been able to direct uh, my own script in a feature form. I did, I did a part of an anthology called ABCs of Death where I was able to direct my own little script. And it was um, very much more meaningful to me. Not that the others weren't, but it was... Well, sure. If you've written the script, it's going to be more, by naturally, it's going to be more meaningful. Yeah, to or it you. should, it should. I mean, or, you, or you probably didn't, should. didn't yeah. do a good job. <laughs> uh, and then um, I did that. It was an anthology of of horror shorts. And then um, I I wanted to investigate um, television. I was just watching more television, mm-hmm. consuming more. the The feature market has been kind of fading away for a while what, now. What's the feature market? What is that? What does that mean? Feature film market. Okay. Movie, movie, movies. Okay. So like right before Altitude was made, it was kind of the height of like DVD sales and movies and everyone was so into movies. And then um, Netflix came along and that's really, that along with HBO started to create this TV renaissance. Has that created opportunities for people like yourself? I mean, there's just so much more. I mean, it may, at the same time, it maybe it's creating this landscape of vanilla material that you've talked about. But at the same time, with all this much more content that's being produced, doesn't it mean you, there's more actors being hired, more directors being hired, more produced? Like, is it an opportunity for you? Um, in, in some ways, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I think that... Um, it's not that I think that the fact that they're making more TV shows means there's more vanilla. I just mean societally, that seems to be just more vanilla around as, as a whole. Mm-hmm. But just like you said with hockey, when you have more teams, more shows, the talent gets dispersed. Yeah. And a lot of the shows get a bit watered down. Mm-hmm. If you, It's different when you're creating um, a show that you're going to binge for 10 episodes in a row over two nights than if you're creating a multi-season weekly episodic of where you let your audience grow and everyone's waiting for something to happen on whatever show, you know, whatever show you're doing, Mad Men or whatever. Yeah. It's a, it's a different beast. So, but the interesting thing is like one is never better than the other. I think, I think you can, you can get trapped in like, Oh, I wish it was five years ago because that's when I wanted to work. That's when people made the things I wanted to do, but that's, that's, you can't like, again, that would be stasis if Mm -hmm. the, if that, field was the same as five years ago and then it would be death and everything would be over so sure art's constantly changing itself and and um the key the key is to adapt and to uh be the be the last person standing i think it's the (laughs) i like that (laughs) in in the business world Mm -hmm. you know it's very common that uh, people sit down and write business plans and set forecasts i mean big corporate organizations like disney or uh, a can accord the firm I work for will, you know, put forecasts in for in front of analysts and kind of give an indication of where they expect to be. Um, it's funny when I started the business, I was very big on writing business plans. I wrote business plan like every quarter. I updated it. Hmm. I haven't written a business plan in over a decade. And one of the reasons is because I've come to realize that, um, whatever I wrote, I never achieved it. I either overachieved it. I went a completely different direction. I underachieved it. It was like, 
I think that, but I do think it's good for young people to do these kind of things to sort of set plans in place because there's a saying I heard years ago, which I thought really resonated with me, which is um, that goals are the in-between dreams and reality. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a dream, but if you want to make it a reality, you have to set some goals to hit that dream. And I, that yeah. I believe in. Yeah. It's just formalizing it in an actual document, in a business format, like in a, in a business plan to me, for me, it doesn't work anymore. For young people, might, and I would encourage anybody who's getting into the business world would, should still do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I just, through experience, I don't need to anymore. But yeah. In, so for yourself, what do you kind of, you're mid-40s now. Yeah. Where do you kind of see yourself wanting to go with your career as is in the, is it around along the lines of directorship or is it still, do you still really just love doing the comic books or do you have a, another direction you want to go or do you even know? Well, I, I would say that like, um, so there's been some psychological research that shows that goals and, and stepping towards goal, goals, you know, provide the best um, sense of well being If you can define your goals and then, track your progress towards those goals. Okay. Um, this is what I've uh, heard. For myself, what's weird about me is uh, because I have this weird hybrid where I've always, like when I started drawing comic books, it wasn't because I thought it was like, oh, that's the path to like riches and fame and stardom. It was like, that's a weird thing that not many people want to do, but I love so much and I'm going to do that no matter what anyone else thinks. And what's weird when I started directing is societally directing can become seen as overvalued. And so uh, th there can be some pressure. P some people may, I've had this happen. I've been at comic book conventions where I'll be like sitting with my comic books uh, as a guest of the show or whatever. And someone I've worked with on a, on a TV set will come by and be like, Oh, I thought you were doing better. <laughs> almost like, almost yeah, like, like, almost like, you take a, a step back in your career here, failing by by yeah. also doing comic books. Yeah, um, and it can be a bit of a trap that you to try to like, uh, to try to, to try to find your sense of self worth in eyes of others, even even your peers, even your coworkers. Yeah, and I've always felt that's a big trap, and what I want to always avoid. Comic books are so meaningful because the team is so small. Yeah. And when I write pencil, ink, and color project, I have complete control of a character, complete control of a narrative, complete control of, like, Spider-Man, my favorite character of all time. Like, I, I have written some crazy stories with that character, and only I could have written them, and I've had people come up to me, and I've had two people come up to me. I did this one book, crazy book, called Spider-Man Reign, and it, it had two separate people come up to me and tell me they were, at one time, they were suicidal in their life, and that book helped them. Really? It was like so, but like what? How? Like, and did you ask them that question? Like, how? Did no, this no. Help they you? they they came up to me and yeah. said, "Can you sign my book?" Just so you know, I was suicidal at one point, and this book got me through. And it's like two times that happened to that book. That really? book also happens to be one of my most most um, criticized uh, stories I've ever written. It's called Spider Man Rain. Yeah, and in like our. R E I G A. That's right. I, I wrote it after kind of 9 11 when people were trading away their freedom and responsibility for protection. Right. Um, and uh, it was kind of a. What I did was I had an old Spider Man. We reveal he accidentally killed his wife, Mary Jane. 
just by just by being around him because he's the radioactive blood. Right, he's got radioactive yeah. blood. He's like a he. She got cancer from just loving him, basically being being around him. And so if he if he didn't have the power to save the person he loved, like his tale's always been with great power comes great responsibility. But if he didn't have the power to save the woman he loved, maybe he doesn't have the responsibility for anything. And he walks away from superheroics. Then the journey is him getting back in and reigniting the the city that traded away their responsibility for for anyways it's a very device so did you write this i wrote i wrote pencil inking colored it like you wrote the story itself yeah yeah wow. so sure so, cool. like it's been listed as in some websites top 25 spider-man stories of all time really? it's also been listed as like most horrible story ever written yeah but that's just art right yeah yeah uh, that's the fun part about it's, it it's siskel and ebert one's giving you a thumbs up one's giving you a thumbs down yeah, except except there's like a way big thumb up and a way big <laughs> a way big a way big thumb down. So here's what's funny is so in TV, in the TV space, directors are replaceable. They're a component that changes every one episode, every two episodes. So it'll be the same crew, same stars, same producers. The writers work as a as a unit. One writer will write that episode, but they'll all have beaded it up together in a group, a hive mind group. Yeah. And the director comes in and out. And oh. so it's very rare to have one director. So in director. the back end, when I'm watching a TV show, when my wife's watching Riverdale, yeah. while the cast is all generally the same, yeah. and the writers are all generally the same, and the crew that's filming is all the same, the, the one that you see the most turnover of, is, and this is intentional? Yeah, it's, in, it's just because the workload is so, too big for one director to handle. I see. Generally. So they have to, by necessity, they have to do it. What it also does is it allows... Um, the writers to really control the show uh, because that directing voice, which can dominate, doesn't get to be. It's in and out. Right. It's in and out. And so when you work on a, on a set, it can be seen as a very exclusive thing to do. You're directing the show. Um, your total voice, your, it's actually very collaborative. You're giving away a ton of the responsibility you're part of a team mm -hmm. you're doing it together it's the opposite of working alone in a room doing comic books it's my yin and yang of art making but but some people find much greater worth in one medium than the other but i just love both so much and i find so much value in doing both i'll always i'll just always do them yeah good no, for no you no matter what so for me, it's funny how yeah. people will pigeonhole you into being well you you're a comic book artist and now you're being a director Yeah. or you're a director. Why would you just step back into being a comic? But yeah. why can't you be both? Oh, to, to, oh yeah. Well, even comic because you're a writer I, I, or a pencil. I run a financial yeah. services business. Yeah. That's, it's funny because if you know my world, people who do, I have two businesses that I love. One is the most like conservative, low risk. It's cash management. It's like, you cannot, when in the world of money, managing money, you can't get lower risk than this. This is like preserving your cash. Right. We get really excited when we help clients make an extra 0.2% <laughs> on their cash. Right. On the other end of the spectrum, I run a Bitcoin business. Yeah. In the world of money, this is like <laughs> this is like the hellboy of money. Yeah. Right. This is like this is like the this is the opposite end. Yeah. And I love them both. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to be away from either of them. Yeah. We're going to come back to finish up with Kari Andrews. We're going to talk about what you're working on as product, projects right now, if you're allowed to talk about that. Yep. And then uh, maybe just touch on a few of the 
uh, book, comic books that you really love. We're going to talk about some of your maybe movies that you love. Because I'm sure some people like myself would be interested in hearing your your views on some of the kind of the your favorite movies out there. So yeah. why don't you think about that for a minute? We'll come back with Kari no, Andrews. Sounds good. Okay, we're back with Kari Andrews to wrap this up. Kari, let's talk about some of the current projects you're working on right now. Yeah that uh, we can get excited about some of the things that might be see coming in the future here. Well, I can't, I actually can't get into too much specifics because, yeah. or is, what are some fun things you want yeah, to do? Things haven't been announced, but I have, yeah. I directed on a series that's out on Netflix later this year. Okay. Can't talk about it, but okay. It's coming. So that'll be coming. Be coming. And I am currently writing, penciling, inking, coloring a new book for Marvel. Okay. Can't talk about it. It hasn't been announced yet, but can you at least tell us if it's a, a brand new character? Like, did you create this one? These are, it's my favorite characters. That's okay. all I'll say. My favorite yeah. characters. Um, and I am currently doing a bunch of covers, these variant covers we talked about that, yeah. tra- that they trade like stocks. I've been doing a bunch of those. Yeah. It's so much fun. And just a bunch of other stuff. I'm developing my own TV shows right now. I am. Uh, someone, uh, Nicole told me yeah. that uh, there's a guy that apparently will commission you to produce some material like some guy from New York or something like this like that that you sell you can actually as an artist you can are you able to oh so there's this thing there's there's a lot of private art collectors in comic books okay so a lot of comic book collectors um grow up get well-paying jobs yeah. and still want still have the passion of comic books but have lots of money okay. and so they'll <laughs> either buy your original covers yeah or they'll they can commission you to draw something original for them I've only done that once because I just, I'm always so slammed with work. Like for me to take time out of my normal workflow, even if I get paid well, to draw one thing for one guy that no one else will see but that one guy, dude, it doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't right. make sense yeah, in my yeah. world. Like I'd rather, I sell original art, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know, it's a whole, there's a lot of little niche micro industries in comic books. And yeah. uh, it's very, it's an interesting landscape of, uh, I don't know. Okay, what about your character that you talked about that you made oh, built? So Renato Jones, um, yeah, yeah, Renato Jones. Will there be another Renato Jones that'll come out later, or maybe I did two seasons, so two trades. So yeah. I did uh, ten issues worth of story, and I kind of and did those get actually printed into comic books? Yeah, printed yeah. and sold the first issue. And do you you but you own the character? I own the character. Own all the underlying rights. The first issue sold. And you get some kind of royalty. Five times. Yeah, royalties. Royalties. I get an yeah. advance against royalties. Kind of like the publishing oh. market. Oh, I see. So I get an advance, and then based off of sales, I recuperate royalties, and then I also right. get reprint fees. It just was reprinted in Italy and France, and oh, these get translated into different languages. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. What's a big market for comics? Well, the well, for depends on the comic. So North okay. American comics, the biggest market is North America. Yeah. But um. It's like, are there any markets people go, really? I didn't know that. But they get, I mean, they get, I mean, yeah, it's a little, it's global now. Yeah. But, um, like, Japan has a North American comic book uh, marketplace. It's smaller because they, yeah. they're more consume their own products. Uh, same with Italy and France. Um, yeah. They kind of yeah. just get translated into all the, you know, they go, they go all over the place now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm mean, very interested in the future. Like, I think right now we're still... It's still a tactile medium. People like to hold them in their hands, but I think as as iPads and that technology continues to like erode print, I think the future of comic book sales we, that'll be the next rejuvenation. Comic books have always 
have almost died and then rejuvenated themselves like at least four times since the 30s. Really? It always almost dies and then comes back and reinvents itself That's in right. a new way. And the next next version of that will be the digital marketplace. Yeah. Are there any um, any comic uh, comic book uh, covers or scenes or things that you've worked on that when you look back you either got an actual official award for, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming there's awards in this industry mm -hmm. that you've got an award for or that even if you didn't get an award you're just really proud of or something that got a lot of traction or a lot of uh, that would be really neat to you, something you're really proud to talk about well I mean awards are awards are silly because they're 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 very meaningless mm-hmm but they're very nice to get, right? So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like the opposite of climbing Mount Everest to be given an award for something you've done. Because, <laughs> and I know this both as someone who's gotten awards. I got Canada's first national award for comic books for my work on Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus year one. But then also I've sat on a bunch of juries and I know the process of how awards are given. And it's just so um, random. Okay. You know these co the committees that give awards for any for whether it's comic books or film or whatever. Yeah, there's some meaning to it, but there's not. There's well, not. It's very a subjective. Lot. It's unlike a hockey game. Yeah. Or unlike a financial statement, where you either won or you lost. It's obvious. Yeah. Right. I mean, you you either get your name on the Stanley Cup or you don't. Yeah. Right. Whereas with the war, I mean, although I guess you could make the same argument. Well, it's for, like an MVP, MVP for hockey. It's like, yeah, it's like sure. uh, it's, yeah. uh, it could go to anyone. Yeah. It's like the best actor. You could make a case for whatever. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. forget about awards. Yeah. What are some of the pieces, things that you look back on your career so far? You go, man, I'm really proud of that. That was maybe that some people haven't even really recognized, yeah. but you're kind of really, you know, you look back and go, that yeah. was, yeah. Well, in comic books, it's been the stories I've written and drawn. So okay. Spider-Man Reign. Like I, that book, it still gets new articles written about. It. It's been ten years, maybe longer. I want to. I want to read this. Where do I buy it? Uh, I don't know if you. It's probably out of print. I don't know if you can oh. buy it right now. You can probably you can buy it on the internet or you can like buy it on the eBay internet. or something like that. eBay or there's the the comic book marketplace is Comixology that sells Comixology. all the digital series. You Hold can that up, Ross. You can. Sorry, what was it called? Comixology, uh, C O M I X. O L O G Y. It's owned by Amazon now, but you can. That's where you get all the digital courses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they, yeah. So that book is so divisive. I still get like new articles written about it, like every couple months, and it's been like that since I did it. It's one of those weird. But that's awesome. That's it that's, is, that's but really it's also cool. like it's so funny because because it's so, so die. It's so divisive. I get slammed so much, or it gets propped up and slammed. And propped yeah. up. It's like really fun. Um, I did. I wrote and drew Iron Fist for about a year and a half, and that was really rewarding. Yeah, I really put a lot of personal. And have those been produced into comics? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two years. Iron Fist, the Living Weapon. The Living Weapon. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, I think this. I think I think the thing I'm working on now will will be the same. Like, there's these projects I find where I can just imbue myself in them. Mm -hmm. And here's what's weird is in. In the, in the directing space, traditionally, films are director-driven, quote-unquote, um, and there should be more meaning in them, but I've actually found more, I've found the most meaningful work I've done in film has been in the television space. Okay. 
I've, I, I worked where in there's a, this rotation of directors. Yeah. But uh-huh. it's almost like I've, I also believe in the disposability of art. Like I think if we, if you try to create something to have meaning and be great and grand, it's like it, you will fall. It will become meaningless because mm-hmm. it's like, what, what are you doing? Like you're just trying to achieve success by presenting yourself as is grandiose like yeah. that's not truth but i but i imagine if you think about some of the most iconic art pieces of total like of history yeah like the mona lisa yeah who painted the mona lisa? da vinci da vinci yeah i'm pretty sure when he set out to paint the mona lisa it's not like he was i mean he was probably surprised that that was his if, if you yeah. were to wake him up today out of his grave yeah he'd probably go really yeah no they, oh, it, it did that well did it <laughs> also like michelangelo when he painted the 16th chapel that was just a commission job he did to pay the bills to, in, while, in between doing his personal art. Right. Like those meaningless jobs, quote unquote, are the jobs that can actually become meaningful because the disposability of it can generate the space necessary for it to become meaningful. But if you go in, it's like, it's like if you go into a party and you're dressed up like all pimped out in gold chains and a suit. You th- you're doing that to achieve status and success, but you look like an idiot. And art making is like that a lot. Like it's almost like the less you try, the less you try to succeed and the more focused you are in the, in the intention, like in the creation, in the, in, the, in the struggle, the more you invest in the struggle, the greater the result. But if you're only focused on the result, yeah. No one will care. But I don't, I don't really know any yeah. truly successful people who that's how they operate. Like every successful right. person totally. I've met, they, they're, it's not like they, they're, this was their goal. They're, I'm going to become, I'm going to have this as my objective and I don't care about how I get there. It's just, and that's where I think the wrong perception, a lot of people who aren't successful. Yeah. You know, whether it's a wealthy business person or a successful actor or a director like yourself or don't realize how much struggle you went through to get there. Mm-hmm. And it's another saying, I mean, I drop these all the time and I just because I, I live off of sayings and I get them from all over the place. But one I heard recently and I love is that winners do what losers won't do. Yeah, no, it's very true. And the weird backwards thing in today's world is you have something like Instagram right? And Instagram is created as a representation of success, status, and hierarchy, right? Right. So it's created as a microcosm of like, if you have a million followers on Instagram, oh, you must be something. You must be someone important. Right. You must have something to say. Yeah. When it is, what is it? It's a 20-year-old girl in bikinis, maybe with a banana, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you can, and so that's what I'm saying, like the, the, the subversion of truth. So people want maybe a thing, they want the end result, and they end up chasing Instagram followers instead of actually investing in the struggle of whatever they should be doing. Yeah. And then they become obsessed with the false version. And then I think in that obsession, that's, I think that's when people get resentful and malevolent and, and really turn into dark versions of themselves and can really, hurt people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really think social media is making people hurt people because it's creating false versions of meaning. Yeah. And oh, there's all sorts of negative aspects to social media. There's some positive ones too, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the way it's designed, like Twitter especially, you're rewarded for negative behavior. Yeah. Right? You generate um um interaction by 
by attacking people. Yeah. By trying to tear someone down. Yeah. You get followers and then you get, but it's not even yeah. real status because you can have someone with a, a million Twitter followers and no one knows who you are. Just well, it's, it, you're you're heard you're heard more if you yell than if you whisper, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, what you're saying is better. You're heard more, but if you're but if but no one remembers the guy yelling in a crowd, yeah, right? You may remember someone yelled in a crowd. Oh, someone yelled fire in that theater. That was weird. But no one's going to be like, I remember Jack. He was a genius. You know, like you know, no one's going to remember. He did that thing no one could do. He just like no, he pulled the fire alarm and yelled fire, and he. He thought that was him being recognized. He thought that was him. I don't know. Art's like that. There's a lot of tricks. People get, yeah. people get, I get, I get the same way. Yeah, you can get, you can get backwards. Here's what I heard. I heard uh, chasing fame should be chasing, creating something worth remembering when you're gone. Right. But the bad way to chase fame is just to chase the result of being remembered. If you just want yeah. to be remembered, go shoot up a school. That's what yeah. happens. Yeah, but you really the healthy way to chase that stuff is to just affect the world, affect people, affect your industry, whatever you want to do. Like, create some meaningful manifestation that survives your passing. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I hate social media. It's the worst. <laughs> worst. So, Kari, um, there's lots of other artists in your space. Who are some of the people that you? I mean, if you if you couldn't do comics anymore, and you had to. Uh, look at other people's work who are some people you, you most respect in the comic book space oh today well there's, there's some some people just <laughs> i'm sure some of them are your, maybe your friends yeah, maybe yeah. they're not i don't know but who are some people you think man these are really phenomenal artists well i think the guys that i i think it's the guys that changed the game so yeah frank miller really changed the space is he still alive he's still alive yeah. he did dark knight he did sin city um one of my favorite artists didn't do a lot of didn't do a high, a very high output, but changed the game. Jim Steranko, he was one of the first to both write and draw his own book at Marvel in the 60s. Mm-hmm. A guy named Alex Toth, another 60s guy, really changed. Like they, they, they did something that changed the direction of the field of comic books. Mm-hmm. And it's always those guys that they left their mark by by changing the map of how it was going to be, right? Like we, it's like maybe comics were going to go this way, and because they did a thing sometimes somewhere, it went this way. Like it's it's those guys. What about today? What about is there any are there any uh, up and comers or people that are in kind of uh, that are producing material today that you think wow their their work's really good? Yeah, there's a bunch of them, but but um. I actually, I actually don't think that's happened recently. There hasn't been a, a guy, a writer artist, who's changed the game. There's been some writers. Some writers have changed the game. Mark mm-hmm. Miller, who wrote Kick Ass and um, and uh, Kingsman, he's a comic book writer. He changed the comic book game. Um, Robert Kirkman, who did Walking Dead, he changed the game. Like, there's been some writers, but we're, we're waiting. For, we're waiting for an artist to to do that. And it's mm. it's about the cycle between writer and artist. Could be you, Arkari. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, how, about, <laughs> how about the movie business? Yeah. Well, my favorites are always like James Cameron, yeah. David Fincher, Darren Aronofsky. Okay, sorry. I know who James oh, Cameron yeah. is. So James, but, James Cameron. But, okay. Uh, Aliens, Abyss, um, you know, every yeah. awesome movie you can think of. 
<laughs> Titanic even. Uh, and who's the next one after David that? Fincher. Okay, so what movies has he done? Um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Game, Fight Club. Yeah. Um, Darren Aronofsky, uh, Wrecking for a Dream, Black Swan. Oh, Black Swan. Yeah. Same guy. Same guy. Yeah. These are really innovative guys um, that have changed changed the game, you know? I, I, and again, I think maybe that's the point of it. Like, okay, let's just suppose. Okay, so this idea that an ant is not an independent life form. There's this idea that it's actually the colony of the ants that is the total independent life form. And that the ants, the drones, make up the organism, but they themselves are not the organism. So what, so what if... What hypothetically, what if we as people aren't aren't independent organisms? What if our collection of people is the organism? Well, then whatever that collection creates, the path is what's important, not any one person's thing. So when one when one of those feelers of the global organism of people uh, diverts the organism a little bit this way or a little bit that way. Like maybe that's what it's all about. Like mm-hmm. maybe there's some, maybe we're just transient towards some end game. Like there's this idea that what, what sometimes a chicken's away for an egg to make another egg. Like the chicken itself is meaningless. It's the egg to the other egg, yeah. which is why I think you need to have, if you can, you need to have children. Like you need to have children. Like it will change your life, but don't have them. If you think it's going to bring your marriage closer together. <laughs> I, th- I, you know, gonna, I don't think there's a bad reason to have kids even if no, it's the worst either. no no that, that, saying, that is the worst not, reason it's, it's not, not going to fix your marriage it's not going to make your marriage better no it will not make your marriage <laughs> maybe better. eventually but it will put more stress on your marriage but, than it will but I'll say, I'll say this I'll say your marriage evaporates horrible despair you're an old man and then yet your life essence lives on through another person that's, maybe that's that's pretty cool maybe an egg I've never met chicken, anybody it's a way for an egg to make another egg yeah <laughs> I've never met anybody who said, I wish I didn't have my kids. Well, or I had too many. I often wish I didn't have kids. I often think I had too many kids, <laughs> but it's not, it's a temporary feeling. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I really, I, I just believe maybe that's why, maybe we're just here to have more kids. Yeah. And whatever problems we leave them with in the world, maybe that's they're just going to have more kids no matter what no matter the struggle yeah and if meaning is the struggle maybe it's not the worst thing to leave our kids with some struggle i don't know right (laughs) that's good right (laughs) all right let's finish this off by asking you a few more questions about um about movies yeah uh i i shouldn't i should have asked you this before i told you what you told me five years ago (laughs) But if I were to ask you today, what are your favorite movies? Would you still give me the three or would you change it up? Or what are some other, like, what are your, what are your favorite movies? Well, that- first Terminator will be there for all time. I think. Yeah. And it's such a perfect story. I, my, my, and, and is it because of the movie or is it maybe because of the time that you watched it? I think, I think, I think that there's a truth embedded in that story mm-hmm. that will, that survives, um, me, it, it, it transcends, right? So I, w- I showed my eight-year-old son the new trailer for the new Terminator movie this morning. Oh, yeah. Terminator it's... Dark Age or whatever it's called. Yeah. Dark Road. I don't yeah. know what it's called. Um, and he was like asking me about it, and I told him the general plot of the first Terminator movie, yeah. that in the future, robots defeated the humans. Some were left alive, um, and then they mounted a resistance and overthrew the robots. And in the last uh, stage of that, the robots sent a, an assassin back through time to kill the mother of the child that would lead the resistance. 
and the resistance managed to send one of their soldiers back in time to stop the robot and they both chase after this young woman who hasn't had the baby yet and it just so happens that soldier impregnates the baby that then will lead the resistance to then defeat the robots it's such a perfect loop and it's like it's a phenomenal movie even just that idea the idea that the woman you try to save to save humanity is the woman you imbue with your child that then saves humanity is like the essence of being a man. Sure. And it's also the essence of being a woman that you give birth to the savior of humanity while this force is trying to destroy you and another force is trying to save you. To me, that's like the perfect representation of, of just who we are. Yeah. It's so archetypal right it's just that's just what life is like the and who old, produced this movie well that was a gail gail uh gail Hurd. she was married to james cameron. james cameron right i don't think at the time but then they did get married yeah okay they did get married she uh, was the producer she was the producer who yeah. was the director james cameron okay james cameron yeah but i think there's just something there like like okay so what do you, what do you say this is a, so um and who sorry who wrote terminator uh james cameron okay so the idea is the idea that i am drawn to is um men sacrifice their lives to for their future of their offspring and women sacrifice their bodies right and i just think oh that's the movie that's just the movie all wrapped up yeah it's like every story every story i'm gonna live you're gonna live every that's why that's why it like points towards truth and like and that's why this new movie this new version of terminator is probably gonna suck yeah. It's probably going to like, it's not based on truth. It's based off of the representation of representation. Of truth. It's like a cover song. Well, I think it's based off of the fact that Terminator did so well. Yeah. And there's a big driving force of revenue behind this. Oh thing. yeah, sure. It's sure. a big corporate machine that we all know about. Yeah. All right. So Terminator's top of the list. Yeah. You also had said to me years ago, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. One of my favorite movies. And I will say, I should re- correct myself from earlier when I say I have these superhero movies. The one I always do still watch are Star Wars movies, yeah, and I've watched them all, and I have to admit, I'll go into them now kind of with low expectations, yeah, and they're never as good as Empire Strikes Back, and I don't think they ever will be, yeah. But I still watch them because I still I'm I'm looking for a little bit of that Empire Strikes Back feeling. Why is Empire Strikes Back? Because I, I when you said that to me five years mm-hmm. ago, I was like, there's those because the, I always look at the three originals. And that's the one that always resonates with me as being, I don't know if maybe it's just because of the battle on Hoth and, you know, being yeah. Canadian and it's the snow and stuff. <laughs> I don't know if it's that right. or what, but why did that one, I'm, not, I'm sure you and I aren't the only two who think mm-hmm. that Empire Strikes Back was one of the best Star Wars films ever produced. Yeah. What are your reasons why, why that, why did that resonate with you the most? Well, I think it, it's, it's dependent upon the first movie being so successful. Like without the first Star Wars, you can't have Empire Strikes Back. Right. It's the act two, but three act structure. So on its own, it would not be. But as part of a, a three act structure, it is the strongest. And it's, I think it's the strongest because it's an investigation of that shadow. That shadow that forms the solid mass. Mm-hmm. So the first Star Wars is a bit light. It's a bit airy fairy a bit like you can do it luke and he you know but the second one is an investigation of that dark side yeah. in literal ways like he discovers in that movie that the darkness in the universe is his own father and he must confront the darkness of his father in a physical altercation 
to come out of, to emerge with the answer, and he fails. Amazing. Because that's what life is, right? Yeah. Like, you confront that darkness, and it's, you'll probably fail, but it's in that struggle that the meaning is. And then in the third movie, we can wrap it all up and put a bow yeah. on it, but it's that, it's that turmoil and the drama of the darkness and confronting it willingly. He, he finds that there's this idea, Joseph Campbell idea, the truth, the, um, the cave you are afraid to enter holds the, the truth you, you need. So it's always in the darkest part of either yourself or the world that is the, where the truth you need to find. So when mm -hmm. we experience our dark days... And, and that's what he did. Luke went into that... He went into the cave. It, he was in Yoda's well, even, but even before, Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is that in number one or two? Two. 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 Yeah. yeah. He, found, he, he found himself in yeah. Darth Vader's mask. That's right. And then he and literally he faced his father and found the answer of his existence by facing the true evil that happened to be his father. And, you know, like... Now, is it true yeah. that George Lucas did not direct... That's right. He is priest. Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, no, no, not Lawrence. Uh, what's been, I forget the name. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan wrote it. But, um, so name, name is did George it. Lucas direct the original Star Wars? He did. In the the it, New Hope? But he produced Empire Strikes Back. Okay. So in some ways, like the model of the Marvel movies, mm -hmm. and again, these are great movies, but they're being showrun, quote unquote, by Kevin uh, Feige, Feige, much like a TV show is being showrun, like Mad Men, Matt Weiner or whatever was is like, and then the directors are components. Okay. So they bring what they bring, but they serve the, the arc. And yeah. Do you think that's a better, that's a better recipe for success? That's just a way to, it's a way to do it. Like yeah. if you're creating a multi-part thing, yeah. either you Which direct Star it, Wars is doing now. Right. Either you direct it yourself. Yeah. Or you produce it yourself. And then the directors you collaborate with. Yeah. And you still get the cohesion because the specificity of the structure isn't important, but the, but the, but the, the shepherding of the world is important. And sometimes that shepherding comes from the director of a movie, and sometimes like James Cameron, Terminator One, Terminator Two. And sometimes yeah. it comes from that director transitioning to producer, like George Lucas did. So yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, who produced Requiem for a Dream again? Or, I mean, uh, directed it? Oh, Darren Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky. And yeah. he also directed... Black Swan. Black Swan. Yeah. Um, we talked about Requiem for a Dream yeah. earlier. So what, any other movies that... Well, I think like, The Thing, like I mentioned, one of my yeah. favorites of all yeah. time. Um, when was that produced, roughly? Or, 82 or something okay. like that. Blade Runner. Blade Runner, yeah. Again, huge financial flop. Huge financial failure when that came out. That movie is one of the most re uh, referenced movies of all time now. And it uh, seems to be a pattern that often these huge financial failures produce the content that then resonates throughout time, yeah. which is why you can never... The cool thing about art is even a spectacular failure could have more meaning in it than it can transcend your death. Sure. That, like, um, like um, uh, Van Gogh. So you, can, you can still... There's a, there's a potential of success past your lifetime you're, it's like your kids yeah your your seed yeah could change the world or it could you make might not even know it or it could make another egg yeah and make another egg might take a couple decades might take might a few take eggs yeah, exactly yeah. any movies you've watched in the last year or two that you really liked um what about you 
Uh, I can't think of many. Yeah. You know, I, it seems like, I feel like there's not a lot of great movies out there. I mean, there's a, there's just so many. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, okay, look, there's one that I watched recently that I, I actually now, because I just watched it, The Dirt. It was a Netflix movie of oh, okay. the, um, uh, it was like kind of, of the Motley Crew. Oh, and, and it, it was just really good. But I think I almost wonder how much do I like. So I loved the dirt. Yeah. I loved uh, Notorious because yeah, it was yeah, a, yeah. And and my, one of my favorite, I probably watched it four or five times already. Is a uh, Straight Out Compton. Okay. <laughs> and I, but I wonder how much do I love it because of the movie. Yeah. And how much of it is because I resonate with music? Because I'm a, I'm probably more right. of a music guy. Yeah. That I mean, if you ask me questions about music. Uh, I would probably be able to give you a lot more answers. I'm probably more of a music person than I'm a movie person. Like some of the music that I love right now is, is, uh, what's, what would be described as a genre of, of country rap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. And like well, what's the, that one, that one song we, we listen to that one song. My kids want to hear it all the time with Billy Ray Cyrus. Old Town Road. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Old Town Road. New, yeah. New one. Yeah. Yeah. But there's way. <laughs> But there's, I'm sure uh, there's tons. I'm oh sure. yeah, like this big big SMO, and there's just the, there's a the, the lack the lakes, and uh, yeah, there's a, there's this whole genre of, and it's 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 the most bizarre. I mean, if you said it to somebody who'd never heard it before, like rap and country, really? Mm -hmm. But it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's what's interesting about music is it's like what what even is it, right? Yeah. Like, what even is it? But like something about it is we all orientate towards it's, it's this is how I've, I've heard it referred to as creating structure in the moment in the universe. So you're taking random sounds and you're at, you are creating structure much like when you um, paint or when you, it's the most visceral way to just st structure the organize or structure the universe in real time by creating a rhythm. And that rhythm can like imbue a whole crowd of people like, can in a, a hall of people all like in this rhythm yeah is what what is that yeah but it's these things these things that don't make sense that point us towards some common purpose it's like i don't know i'm so interested i'm always so interested in what that even means yeah you know yeah yeah it's a, it, I, I mean i'm a big music fan so yeah. and i and i and it's interesting like i i love all all types of music yeah virtually yeah well, Kari, this has been great, man. Right, yeah, I really appreciate. Well, I really, here's what I really like. I really, again, yeah. I really like that. Um, in some ways, I feel such a um, similarity to you. Yeah, such a kinship. But in some ways, I know we're very opposite. Yeah. So it's that. Oh, I've always loved the talking with component, you because component, I know your world system. is so different from mine. Yeah. Like the daily, day to day, what yeah. you're doing and what I'm doing. Well, when I when I stepped into your offices today off the elevator, it was just like, oh yeah, this is not this is a different universe. <laughs> the computerized elevator, and then the big open windows, and the statue of the fat guy. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> and the big corporate headquarters is like, this is a, this is I'm I'm on planet Mars, but yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> but we always get we always have a great time. We're hanging out together. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is great, Kari. Thanks for coming in today. Great. This has been phenomenal. Best of luck to your career. Thanks, and man. I'm and looking to forward to uh, thanks, and I'm looking forward to uh, picking up a copy of uh, Spider-Man Rain. <laughs> you know, it's pretty crazy. If if you didn't like Re Reckon for a Dream, you may not like Spider-Man Rain. <laughs> it's one of those divisive narratives. Yeah.
Great, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah.